Alright folks, you already know who it is. You got Chase and Josh back on the one and twos with you today. <laughs> What's up? What's up? Yeah, Factor Fantasy coming back at you again, man. Get a little malice in the chalice, you baby. My brother. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Dilly dilly. That's runner. Yeah, episode man. eight coming up soon. Yeah, season six, episode eight. So yeah, so um a little bit about where we are now as opposed to last week. So I know we, we dropped some really cool uh, information on you guys how um, the we are ranked 112 uh, through the Canada Apple Podcast um, national charts, right? National charts, which yeah. is pretty cool for Absolutely. fiction. So. And, and think about it. There's so many you know fiction co- podcasts out there with Harry Potter and all that stuff, but Hint, hint, we'll be bringing a lightning bolt and a broomstick to you in July. Very soon. Yeah. So, yeah, man. So, I thought that was pretty cool, too. One thing we I wanted to mention, too, uh, just a little bit about our our numbers as well. Um, man, we're, we are approaching the double-digit thousands of listeners. Um, we we're now in 25 different countries, uh, which is pretty amazing. And so we're just we're just we're super grateful. Um, got a lot of gratitude over on our end for the fact that there's something so so simple of a topic has reached a lot of people in a different way. So I just think I just like I always like to bring that up and you know always just from you know a good place just be appreciative of like you know how this has gone so far because I don't think any of us could really have thought in that in such a short time that uh, guys really enjoy what we have to offer this much right i mean there's a lot of hard work that goes into it that a lot of people don't see but it's good to see that um it doesn't go unnoticed right yeah i mean we actually just opened up to south korea uh last week which is pretty cool absolutely man so you know to kind of leave off where we were yesterday or last week i should say um what we really kind of talked about was season six part three which covered episodes five six and seven and so this week, what we're doing is we're really tackling uh, season six, episodes eight, nine, and ten. So season six happens to be a four-part episode uh, for us here uh, at Factor Fantasy, just because of all the detail that is really throughout the entire season here. There's no way around it. We needed to get four episodes to do season six justice. Yeah, and uh, once again, I mean, y'all heard it on a, you know, a couple episodes back. We were talking about. You know, Josh was like, we could probably do this in three episodes. And I was taking notes. I was like, we're going to need to do it in four. He's like, definitely not. Yeah. You know, 20 minutes later. (laughs) Yeah. Then I would go through. I'm like, man, I'm on episode four. I've got seven pages of notes. And guys, if you understand, seven pages of notes is usually where I'm at for an entire season. And I've never had more than seven pages of notes for an entire season. I was at seven pages of notes episode four. I called him right up. I was like, yeah, man, it's going to be four. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's definitely going to be sure four. It's for sure going to be four. So yeah. here we are on the conclusion of season six. Again, episodes eight, nine, and ten, man. So Yeah. And um, by the way, we, we see all your guys' comments. Um, YouTube's kicked up, so that means a lot to us. You know, the reviews on Apple Podcast um, and, you know, following us on Spotify and Podbean and all these places – we see all that and it, and it means a lot you know you can follow us on instagram you know official ridiculous patronus um so just follow us there i'm rbrow129 or you can follow you all see me tag jay nelly every now and then <laughs> but uh 
you can follow us there you know follow us on facebook now or like i said our, our website um where you guys can follow along and see the clips too it's uh com. everyone's got to have a blog out there so <laughs> yeah i mean it's 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 worked out really well the the number of platforms that we have available to everyone uh just happy to see the interaction on all on all forms and so uh, without further ado, let's uh, let's give them a quick recap of where we were at for five, six, and seven, and then jump right into to episode eight today, man. So, and really, really, we kind of left off on episode seven. We were talking about how Jon Snow has a very limited army that he's going to be trying to use to uh, take back Winterfell from the Boltons, who have like the largest um, army of the North right now. They have the um, the Umbers. And they have the Karstarks, which are two of the three biggest houses in the north. Where Jon Snow, he only has 200 Hornwoods, 143 Mazins, and 62 Mormonts, along with his 2,000 Wildlings. So, wildly outnumbered there. Um, 2,405. Unbelievable. Added it. <laughs> added it all together. And then, uh, from there, we learn that the Hound's still alive, but uh, he's with the villagers. The villagers get butchered, so now the Hound wants vengeance. And then we really kind of left off with um aria and how um she's like bleeding in the streets and you know she's just this helpless girl like trying to find someone to help her and people are treating her like she's got the plague like no one's no one's assisting her at all and so all this is kind of coming to a head and you know the last kind of image that we saw was of um R- brother ray the hound's friend like the preacher of his little like quote-unquote village swinging from his neck and the hound picking up the axe about to go handle some business yeah so that's keep in mind guys in the books we still don't know where the hound's fate is Mm -hmm. so hopefully that's something we wind up seeing in wins a winner you know (laughs) i'm hoping after this whole situation calms down a little bit by the way you guys stay safe out there we know it's still tough um but hopefully you know george has been in his house long enough hopefully we start to see the you know we find out where the hound's fate is at some point for sure and so now to start into episode eight, uh, it, we, we're, we're kind of taken to the play, right? And if you guys remember uh, a couple episodes ago, Arya was trying to give Lady Crane advice about, you know, well, you know, if you were a Cersei and you learned that Joffrey was murdered, you just wouldn't be uncontrollably sad. You would be angry and you'd want to get vengeance. And, you know, Lady Crane's like, well, that's not in the script. And so she's like, well, you know, this is something like, you know, you should attempt to tell them about. And so Lady Crane had tried to tell, like, the person who writes the, the script and the person that kind of waved her off because, again, like, they, no one respects women back in these days, right? So uh, it's, so Lady Crane kind of takes it into her own hands. It starts off with her taking that advice and actually playing Cersei uh, at Joffrey's death and getting violently angry at the very end and how she promised of all the, you know, the stars and the moons of vengeance for, you know, her son's murder. And so... She actually went against the uh, the guy's script, and he was super upset when they go backstage, even though the audience absolutely loved it. So it was kind of interesting, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's- Pretty awesome. And uh, keep in mind, you know, before, you know, they were reenacting kind of Ned's whole execution, right? Well, in this one, they are really kind of making a mockery of how Joffrey wound up dying. Yep. And it's still bringing back all those emotions, you know, Arya has for the Lannisters and that feeling of kind of anger 
Oh, as she's seeing this whole thing go down. Well, Arya's not even seeing this. Arya's, like, in her back room, like, wounded. So Lady Crane comes off stage, and she goes in the back. Okay. yeah. And she sees, like, Arya almost dead, like, lying there. And so she, like, ends up patching her up. And they start having, like, discussions. Like, you know, she gets her to, like, a, a I would say, quote-unquote, stable, like, position. But, like, you know, she got stabbed. She got she got cut and then stabbed twice and one of the stabs like we talked about last week she like twisted the knife in there so you know how how really patched up and healed is she not very but they start having conversations anyways and I wrote this down because people think that in season eight is when Arya talks about what's west of Westeros she actually brought it up here first she asks Lady Crane what's west of Westeros and Lady Crane says I don't know and so Arya's like well I'd like to find out so. That's interesting because, like in season eight, she kind of says the same exact thing. So it was kind of brought up here in, in, in the beginning, and I thought that was really interesting. Right. Yeah, and I, I that's so funny because I mean, like we always talk about, you know, me and Josh take different notes, and I wrote the same thing down. I mean, Arya says, "Essos is east, and Westeros is west. What is west of Westeros?" And it really goes to kind of show she almost wants to just get away from everything at this point dude yeah she just got stabbed (laughs) she almost died again yeah dude and like it's crazy how it all ends up turning out because you know like we said she she starts showing a little like fight back and then now you know she's (laughs) almost dead but um yeah so now this kind of jumps back over to the hound like kind of where we left off with him and these men in the forest are like kind of like joking around with each other like (laughs) having their own little mess around like I remember it was it was something super goofy. He's like, ah, you know, you're not ready to learn how to kiss like a real man. He's like, oh, I'm ready. And then like they like ends up grabbing him, like sticking his finger up his butt from the back. It's super <laughs> funny. But like the hound comes in, just like fucking power walking with a big ass axe in his hand, and he just swings that thing and takes the first guy's head clean off. Yeah. <laughs> he like, oh man, he goes in and kills all three of those people just standing around the little fire there. I actually literally wrote it down. So the first one. Uh, the guy that was almost like somewhat innocent at this point that was getting messed with. Uh, so he smashed his head off with a hammer. The second brother is without banner. He took the axe straight into his chest. The third brother without banner, he looks to the right and slices his neck with the axe. And he falls completely silent. No groaning, no moaning, no screaming. And then the fourth one, he smashes the groan of the hammer as he falls into the ground. So, completely smashes it into his crotch, which is the guy that literally was messing with the other one. And he says, where is the one with the gold cloak? Any last words? And it, it kind of reminded me of that whole Oberon Martell. Oh, you can't die yet. You haven't confessed. <laughs> Murdered her. Raped her. Kill the children. Now I'm waiting for Josh to give me those <laughs> that what the fuck look because I... He said, you can't bring that up anymore on the show, but I just did. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. And the funny thing is, like, he was talking to him. He's like, any last words? And he said, what do you say? He said some curse word. He said, fuck. <laughs> he's like, fuck, He said, really? fuck you. <laughs> fuck you, really. Excuse he's my like, language. Those are, the, those are the last words. And he's <laughs> he saying, like, you got that dead right. The hound like, said, those are your last words. Fuck you. <laughs> And then what do you say after that? Come on, you can do better. You can do better, right? And then what yeah. did what, what, what the guy say after that? You want to say this one? I don't remember. 
It's like, that C word. Oh, cunt! <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, you suck shit at dying. <laughs> <laughs> you know that? Yeah, and then smashes the banner in with axe. You got that dead on. It's interesting. Yeah, man. So... That's, I thought that was really interesting for like the hound to show some sort of emotion that he cared for these villagers so much that he not only killed four people by himself, but he still hunted down like the main culprits. I thought that was pretty cool. So yeah, yeah. Now after that, it takes us over to uh, Varys and Marine. Um, he's on a mission and says like basically he need they need friends in Westeros. So uh, one one of the funniest quotes here from Tyrion. Uh, he's, he's like, yeah, I can't do this with you. You know, like you're one of the most famous dwarves in in Westeros. And he's like, one of the most famous dwarves in the world. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Absolutely um, great. Yeah, man. So then talking about back in Westeros and King's Landing, uh, Lancel Lannister and the Sparrows. They tell Cersei that she needs to go to the Great Sept, and and she refuses. She says, and then uh, Lancel tells her. Tell your man to step aside with the man being uh, Gregor Clegane, like zombified, super like unpain feeling monster. <laughs> he goes, tell your man to step aside or they will be violence. And Cersei looks at him and she says, I choose violence. <laughs> she was and so cool. This is a huge scene. Like this scene is so graphic. Uh, you really start to kind of step back and say, wow. Dude, he ripped the guy's head off from the jaw. Not taking any <laughs> shit at this like, moment. You want to describe the scene real quick? I, I, that's all. I mean, I just I thought that was just a big graphic image itself. Like, he takes that one sparrow who decided that he was going to try his luck with the mountain, grabs him by underneath the jaw, and rips his head off from the jaw. <laughs> it was crazy. Oh, don't worry. I got it right Take here. Take it, bro. <laughs> Do your thing. So, the mountain walks to the side, and the first faith militant... Militant. I would say militant, militia. Militant. <laughs> militant. Militant's the right one. So he smashes him with a spike club uh, as he's smashing it against the mountain's chest plate, right? The first face militant. I got to work on my militant words. Smashes the mountain with the big spike club and it gets stuck in the mountain's chest plate. And yep. kind of at this moment, all the faith militant are like, what the fuck? Like, Wow! Like this is gonna be like he like let him hit him and just stuck in there and he just like stood there and like nothing happened. Literally, so the mountain grabs this guy, picks him up by the neck, chokes him, throws him to the side, reaches down and then pulls his head off, (laughs) throwing it across the complete room. As this happens, um, the man's fingers, of course, completely start to twitch, almost like he's seizuring at this point. As blood from his neck is draining down the faith militant symbol, which is almost like ironic, like there will be blood. Yep. That and it, cool. it's that moment where you're like, I mean, you know, he literally just ripped this guy's head in half. And I think this is the moment the faith militant, despite the high sparrow, they're like, wow. They're like, nope, I ain't doing that. <laughs> now we might have a problem. Yep, absolutely. Um, and then from there, it, we go over to Brienne. She sees Jamie, and she comes up with a plan to allow her to speak with the Blackfish first and try to convince him to bring the Tully army north to aid Sansa. And if they give up the castle, like she, what she wanted to do is for Jamie to agree to allow that uh, the Brendan the Blackfish's army safe passage to the north, which is an awesome plan. It's a win-win for everybody. So Jamie like agrees he's like all right well if they give up the castle and they march that nor- army north you know we won't we won't uh pursue them or you know they won't have any recourse so brian 
tells Jamie, though, as she leaves the tent, and I thought this was super important because Brienne is a woman of honor through and through, and she tells Jamie right as she leaves the tent that if it comes to battle, honor has her fighting for Sansa's kin against Jamie. And so she tells him, like, you know, let, let, they both say, like, let's hope it doesn't come to that. Because, yeah. you know, like, they have they have this weird, it, it's it's like mutual respect with attraction for each other. I wouldn't say full-blown love yet. Uh, it, it's just like this weird, like, unspoken bond that they've been through so much together, you know. And it's like this attraction along with respect, but they're on opposite sides. Almost like a... On a lesser scale, guys, stick with me here, like a Romeo and Juliet type thing, right? Like, you know, they're, they're like, start, they're on the opposite sides of, like, this big old battle, but, like, they still, like, want to come together, but they just can't. So, it's just, it's interesting. Where's the big woman at? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Which, by the way, just since we're real quick, real quick, I think it's a good time to kind of tell a little bit of history of the Blackfish, just so people have a kind of idea of where they're at mm-hmm. at the moment. So, by the way, the Blackfish wasn't just this guy that happened to be there as, like, guardian of the gate or just happened to be where he was at. Like, he didn't just inherit all this shit. Uh, he was actually pretty respected uh, throughout the land. Just to kind of give you a quick idea. So, he's actually the uncle of Catelyn Stark. Like, a lot of people don't know that, which Catelyn, you know, was the mother of Rob. He's also um, related to Liza and Edmure Tully. But he's described in the books as tall, lean kind of a smoking voice uh, and windburnt. Uh, he kind of had features of very weathered and old, almost like I wrote down. Dude, it was it was perfect. Like they had a perfect casting for him Yeah, in, in this series. It like, was dead on. Exactly I thought it was like, perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and that's what I was going to say. Like it was pretty much dead on. But he is described as a seasoned warrior with a veteran of over 100 battles. And just one of the biggest battles that I kind of picked out, I was telling Josh on earlier, uh, which is really cool, uh, is actually, if I can find that, it's actually the Battle of Bloodstone. But the reason that's so cool is because, speaking of Jamie, of where we're at right now, he actually did fight along the side of Jason Lannister. And he's what? He's Jamie's great-grandfather? He's he's Jamie's great-uncle. Great-uncle. Which is really cool. Cool. Along the other side of... Uh, Roger Rain, who was the Lord of Castamere at the time, and you had Daemon Targaryen, which Daemon Targaryen, we talked about a couple episodes back, actually fought Maester Aemon. So it's really funny. Like, he had all the respect of these people. Like, we're talking historical people in this yep. universe at this point. So he wasn't just any guy. Um, he fought in Robert's Rebellion, and then he wound up becoming a Knight of the Gate. So he earned everything he had, which goes into the pride you're about to see as we talk about these episodes. Exactly. Good. Actually, a really good point. Um, on top of that, too, guys, I do want to mention something. Like, do you see how some characters are intertwined with historical figures and some aren't? It just goes to show, like, how fast and how often people of um, prominence died. Like, you know, like Walter Frey, ninety something years old, was alive during Aegon the Fourth. Like, you know what I mean? But, like, most people didn't make it past, like, age 40. Right. Like, that's the craziest thing to me is that, you know, if you if you grew old, like, that was something, like, to be proud of, man. Because all these people yeah. of prominence, like, Ned Stark didn't make it to his, like, middle age. Robert Baratheon didn't. Like, Rob Stark died at 15. Like, dude, you know what I'm saying? Like, like these like these big names, yeah. like, these heroic names, 
Sir Arthur Dane, you know, like all these people. Arthur Dane, uh, like, literally uh, <laughs> the greatest swordsman of all time. Dude, like these people just did not live long, you know. So it's just interesting. Like, you know, it sounds like we're going so many far back in history, but it's just only because all these people just die. Yeah, so. and I, I think it also goes to kind of like, you know, for instance, Walter Frey, who was like that, like a bitch. Like you were either on the front lines or you weren't. Yeah, he just never showed up until it was all. Oh, here I am. Dude, hey, the fighting's over. Uh, hey, guys. I Dude. noticed we took over the entire King's Landing. I'm here now. Bro, you know what's kind of funny? It's almost like in a group project, everyone does the work. You show up late to the class. You don't present, but you still get the A for it. <laughs> Brand. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> yeah. So it's just interesting. But, oh, that's great. That's awesome. But yeah, to go into like the pride that we're about to see here from the Blackfish here in a second, Brienne meets with him and talks to him, shows him the letter written from Sansa. And Blackfish is like, I haven't seen Sansa since he was a child. This could be a trap. Like, I don't care. Like, I've got no proof that this is Sansa. Like, I know it's because Brienne tries to tell him that, hey, I was pledged to your uh, niece, Catelyn, to bring, like, you know, her to safety. Like, you know, you should bring your army north and help us take back her home. And, and, Brendan's like, I'm not giving up this fucking castle, man. I don't care. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. like she, I, I built this army by myself. I survived the wedding. wedding. I got this all together. We took back my own home. You know, like, I'm not just going to give it up and let these people have it just so I can go fight in a war where I don't even know if Sansa really is alive or not. So it was really interesting, man. He refused to give up uh, and refused to go to Sansa's aid. Yeah, uh, that's literally what happened. I mean, it, it's... Even Jamie at that point was even kind of doubting Brienne at the beginning because he even says, you know, congratulations, you fulfilled your oath to Catelyn Stark. Cersei wants Sansa dead, though. So, I mean, that's always a complication. Like, I mean, it, it you know, it, it's just like you're saying, like, I mean, that's a lot of faith to put in one person just based on some story that was told. Straight up. Yeah. And so now we go and kind of go back to King's Landing. And Tommen, I think this is super, super important because Cersei's plan this entire time to get her out of suffering any sort of consequences was going to be trial by combat, which we've seen a couple times. We saw it first with Tyrion uh, in the Eyrie with he when he like got Bronn into his service and Bronn, you know, fought for him there and he was able to leave the Eyrie with Bronn. And then again with Tyrion when your boy Oberyn Martell fought the mountain. Murdered her! Raped her! Killed the children! I had to give it to him, guys. I had to let him do it one more time. Mommy. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> Malice so... Malice in the chalice, yeah, baby. Let's get a little Malice I'll, I'll, I'll in the chalice. On that, yeah. that sounded good. But, yeah, man. So, uh, th- these trial by combats, like, it's just been very, very um, common. So, her plan was to use, you know, Gregor Clegane, like, this new like, zombified, unkillable mountain, right? Uh, as her champion, and she was going to get off scot-free. But Tommen announces that he forbids trial by combat and ruins her plan. So what that means is it means the sparrow got into Tommen's head and was like, hey, you know, like people, like this is this is an old practice where people use to get out of, uh, you know, accepting their punishment. Like you can't allow her to do this. And like basically he turned he turned her again, turned him against her because he knew exactly what that would mean because anyone with a brain knew that she was going to be planning to use Gregor Clegane as her trial by combat champion. And so the fact that he decided to ban it and only go by uh, trial of the uh, uh, seven seps, that's what it's called, trial of seven seps, um, was really, really, uh, it's kind of sad in a way, you know, turning a son against his mother, like, damn. And I uh, remember I was talking to, you know, you in the audience last episode, like in the books, it really breaks down. In the books, it gets to the point, remember, 
Cersei has has Tommen whip his best friend, who was Pete at the time. Right. And it's well now at this point, Tom is making the rules. Right. He's kidding. Yeah. He's like, yeah, he's, yeah. So it's kind of crazy how like the the script is almost flipped, right? Right. It's kind of come a full circle. And so it almost it kind of makes sense to why he was able to just do that and shrug it off like, so what, mom? <laughs> you know, you have to deal with it now, <laughs> right? <laughs> so yeah, yeah. and um, and so now that she ruins Cersei's plan, uh, she goes up to Kyburn, and she asks Kyburn like Kyburn says like, you know, uh, I I investigated what you wanted me to investigate, and Cersei goes, well, is it is it nothing or is it something more? And he goes, something much more. Which, uh, you know, we'll talk about exactly what that is in a little bit. Now, going over to Marine, Tyrion. Uh, Tyrion's been trying to fit in with these people this entire time. I feel I bad for this. the guy. It is, it's really cool, right? So, like, he just doesn't understand that people in Westeros and people in Essos are just way different. You know, that's, what he, that's why he had the issue with, you know, the other masters. He thought he could treat them like a regular old pact that he could make with other houses of you know, other like you know family members of big houses it wasn't like that you know so he's trying to fit in with these people and he's trying to get them to drink and you know like he's been doing it for a long time he finally gets them to tell a couple jokes uh drink with <laughs> them like have a good time and like just as things are starting to come together and like they're having a, a little bit of happiness and he's starting to be accepted a little bit by these people who have been with Daenerys for so much longer than Tyrion has because that's another thing we need people to realize is that Tyrion jumped on ship late, so they don't really fully accept him yet either. You know, they, they don't know what it's like. He hasn't been through all these battles with her. Like, he's just like a small man, like, that uses big words. And so it's, it was really nice to see them finally have some semblance of, of acceptance for him. And as all this happens, uh, the masters have come back to Marine to take slaves and overthrow Danny while she's gone. Yeah. They, the whole armada. Boom. And I do want to go into that joke because I yeah, actually yeah, wrote tell, down the joke it, just because yeah. I I thought this moment was so cool. So a lot of people don't know. I actually looked up this joke. This joke wasn't in the books. It wasn't in the show. This actually is an actual joke that actually takes place. It's an old joke in England, and a lot of people didn't know that. But basically, you know, this is kind of that moment where he's trying to develop that emotional connection with Masunday and and. Grey Worm, because you know Grey Worm's not really human. I guess I would say <laughs> he's kind of starting to become human. But he says uh, to them, so he said, three lords walk into a tavern: a Stark, Martell, and a Lannister. They order ale, but then <laughs> the the bartender brings it over. Each of them finds a fly in his cup. He didn't use bartender. He said bar something. Barkeep. Barkeep. That's it. Uh, the Lannister outraged shoves the cup aside and demands another. Another! The Martell picks the fly out, swallows it whole. The Stark reaches into his cup, pulls it out, and the fly shouts, Spit it out! Spit it out, you wee shit! Spit it out! But <laughs> what's funny about that... So, like, I had to, like, look at this a couple of times because I didn't actually <laughs> know. I mean, I get it. But basically what it means is... They're basically calling the Stark super drinkers yeah. at that point. Like, spit out the wine, that you Josh, fly. because yeah. I want to drink that too. Is basically what exactly. it means. But yeah, it's really funny. It actually, um, the old joke is actually an Englishman, an Irishman, and a Scotsman walk into a bar. So I thought that was really cool by Benninghoff yeah. and Wise 
you know, they're able to throw these little things in there that you don't pick up. And, and really, that's an actual joke in today's time. That's funny, man. That's good stuff. Yeah. Cool. Let's do it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the masters have come to Marine and to take the slaves and overthrow Danny while she's gone. You see them like throwing like fireballs at the at the Great Pyramid, attacking people on the shores. Like, and as that's going on, it cuts us back over to uh, um, River Run, and this is where Edmure. It, we this is the first time we really get a conversation of Edmure since the Red Wedding. Like we've always never really liked this guy, right? Like he was a pain in the ass about like trying to take a prettier wife to, uh, you know, make that alliance with the phrase and like you know after and also he jumped the gun on uh, driving the mountain from the lands instead of like having him hemmed in and killing the mountain in the first place like Robin had intended. So Edmure's has been a pain in the ass like wanting all the glory but like being really stupid at the same time, and so. Now you kind of have like some sort of pity for him because he's been in like a cell for since the Red Wedding, which has been what this is season so for three years. He's been in the cell for three years. We learn that he has a son that he hasn't seen. Um, you know, so he starts him and Jamie start having like little back and forth like um, interactions, right? Hey, quick question, not to throw you off topic yeah. at all. This actually goes into the topic. I, it's just something I forgot about that actually might. It's a question about foreshadowing here. Mm-hmm. So Masunday, when she responds to Tyrion after his joke, which she doesn't really understand all these things at this point because she's slowly kind of becoming more human, like with the effects with Grey Worm and everything. She says her joke is two translators are on a sinking ship. The first one says, do you know how to swim? The second one says, no, but I can shout for help in 19 languages. Here's my question, though, because basically what that is, you know, that saying, like, I don't, you know, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just shouting for help. Do you think it's foreshadowing for what happens? Dude, I don't know. I do think that the translator is meant to be her because she mentions on a couple occasions that she speaks 19 languages, so the same number. Uh, it could be. I don't know. Just thought that was really interesting as I scammed over it real quick. <laughs> so I figured you'd bring that up. But, okay, moving right along. Yeah, no. Um, so Edmure and Jamie kind of get into it, and Edmure asks Jamie how he lives with himself, and Jamie compares Catelyn to Cersei with a love for their children, and... And, like, that kind of pisses Edmure off a little bit. Like, he's like, you know, you don't deserve the right to talk about Catelyn and this, that. Like, trying to, like, get all big and bad. But he's, like, like tied to a pole. Like, he can't do anything. And, and Jamie's like, you have to understand. Like, I don't care what it takes. I'm getting back to Cersei. I love her. You can laugh at that. It doesn't matter to me. It's the truth. Like, you know, so, I mean, I don't have two years. So, either, like, I'm going to kill you. I mean, I'll launch your baby, like, through a catapult at River and Army if, like, it doesn't matter to me. Like, straight up. So, um and think of what he says here. Yeah. And this goes into your point. You know, we've been talking about since episode one of this arc. Jamie is suicidal because this really affects Jamie what he says. He says, do you understand that you are an evil man? How do you live with yourself? All of us have to believe that we're decent so that we can sleep at night. But how do you tell yourself that you're decent after everything you've done? Like. Do you think Jamie is still torn up inside? Not because he, I think it's even, I think he's torn up inside because they don't even know what went back to what happened with him at Kingslayer. Like, they know all this history about him, but they don't truly know Jamie. But I think because of all the perspectives on him in the world of Westeros, Essos, and King's Landing, I think you're completely right. I have to completely agree with you back to 
episode in season one i think he's completely suicidal on the inside he just gives his persona of i'm this big badass yeah i straight up think that like if cersei had died at any any point in time he would have killed himself like she's he's she is literally the only reason he has for living like the only one so i mean and that's the thing too is like i do believe that he's starting to accept himself for who he is and how he's changed because he has had a big character arc like change which will go down the toilet in a couple episodes right but uh yeah. he, like jamie has come like he, he's done a lot of character progression one of the best character progressions you'll see in any sort of fantasy genre until it, they ruin it but um <laughs> so like he, I, I think that now let's say ruined this is game of thrones ruined like for any other show mm. Still I, I'm show. not like, gonna say. But you, ha- you uh, let's say it's any other show. Let's say it's any other show at all. If you build up someone's you character, you compare bro- this shit to Burn Notice. But I'm saying, okay, great, <laughs> like, great. So I'm let's saying. let's compare it to Burn Notice real quick. So let's say that we've built Michael up. Michael's uh, Michael Weston is the main character in Burn Notice, guys. Just to draw a comparison real quick. Let's say we built up his character progression from where how he started and just wanting to get back into the CIA, didn't care about his family, didn't care about his friends, and then slowly goes along through and and gets to that peak where like he's like the ultimate like you know everything. He does good for other people. You know his friends and family are some of the most important people in his life. And then at the very end, he's just like, ah, fuck you, I'm going to the CIA. Like, like that would be the worst, like, that would be just as bad. Like, like that's what I'm saying, is, like, that's a terrible, it, 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 for any episode or any show at all, to have someone's par- character progression built up, to have it reverse in one episode, that's just a waste of an entire arc, really. Do you think it was to build up his character arc and waste it away, or do you think it was to give it a realistic perspective that he just couldn't break that chain uh, which we'll talk about later. We don't want to give away spoilers, but almost like remember what happens, which we'll talk about later on this too. Like what happens with, I keep calling him Reek still, but Theon, or even before with Reek, he, you know, he had that but one he had, breaking he had point. fantastic character progression throughout the series. Like you already saw he was a kind of like a slimy piece of crap, even from the beginning, like, cause he was upset that he wasn't really accepted as a Stark. You know, so he always had that weird thing. Remember when he shot that the, the wildling who had Bran captive, like when Ka- Bran was like broken, and he's like, "You don't have the right to do that. Why? Because I'm not a Stark." Like he's like he always had that little like pompous attitude. Like I'm I'm mad because I don't know who I am. Then he got humbled by Ramsay and being you know reek for whatever. But then after that, he drew his character progression progression back up, became a viable asset all the way then, until season seven. But then even in season seven, <laughs> see he jumped back into the water. Like when up oh, sorry. I wanna okay, not trying to ruin it <laughs> straight up. But like he comes back and makes up for that again and, and gets he gets the job done eventually and then he you know, what did Sansa say to him the last thing that she said to him? Theon, you're a good man. Like literally like his character progression was built and like there was a hiccup along the way, but it wasn't just dropped off like it never happened. Like I can that's I see the thing I saying. get annoyed with. But yeah, okay, yeah. We'll, so yeah, we'll I know. We, that I know we get we get really heated with these things. <laughs> but um, yeah, man. So, um, Edmure demands entry into Riverrun, and Blackfish tells the man not to let him in. And I'm really confused about how this guy could think for a second that they, he should have let him in. Like he's trying to tell you it's a trap, you idiot. Like he's like, well, that's the Lord, that's the true Lord of Riverrun. He's like, well, the noose around his neck, like a like what's it called, a 
proverbial noose around it. That's the word I was thinking about. Proverbial noose around his neck. Like he knows anyone with a brain knows he's going there, not of his own volition. He wouldn't have been able to break out of that entire encampment and walk up to the steps or without people freaking out if he wasn't doing it on Jamie Lannister's orders. And this is what Brynn is trying to tell this guy. And this guy's like, oh, no, man, he's the Lord River. And I got to open the gates. Got to open the gates. Sounds good. Like, it's so stupid. So, like, I mean, just going back to his history, like, you know about Blackfish if you're going to try to take over Reaper Run. Why in your right mind would you think he would just give that up? Right, and so that that guy, it's it's that, that guy who decides like, no, my lord, I have, I've got to open the this this gate for him. Number one, if I was Brendan, I would have just killed that guy right then and there. Like yeah, fucking, I know, well. like dude, like we're not doing this. Like that, I would have done that. But also, it's like, it's just really unrealistic because Brendan's the one that put this army together. He put everyone in position. He took that castle back. You would think that everyone would just listen to what he said because he he made this happen. So I just thought it was really unrealistic on the part of like, oh, yeah, we're just going to get one sentence from here. Hey, let me in. Oh, that's rough for the Lord. Got to let him in. Sorry, Brendan. My bad. Peace. Yeah, no, I don't think that. Peace. I, that's, that's one of the most unrealistic things that I've ever seen. So that 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 frustrated me. But they allowed Edmure entry because the Blackfish isn't the Lord of the Castle. And, you know, they could have held it. The thing is they could have held him at bay. But the man all saw like, like, like I, for two years. But... They all saw him in a noose with a knife at his neck, and he was still allowed entry. Like they saw, like in literally a day ago, they, they were going to execute this guy, and this guy's like, "Yeah, no, I think it's completely realistic that this guy's just walking in, demanding entry, and it's going to be all good." I just, I don't, I don't understand that. I thought that was uh, we could have done better with that writing. <laughs> I completely agree. I can't, can't argue with that at all. So Edmure goes in there, and what's he do? He makes the men lower the gates and lay down their arms. He commands his men to find the blackfish and hand him over to the phrase. Like, immediately does everything that the blackfish said this is going to happen. And, like, it's, it's, it was just so silly. Like, I don't know. It, it was almost like a waste of a thing. Why don't you just have them, like, give us a cool battle scene and have them take over the castle. If you're going to just have them walk in like that, that, that was silly. But, um, so the blackfish has a chance to escape with Brienne and Pod, but he refuses and prefers to go down in a blaze of glory. I mean, this is kind of like that moment, though, that I don't want to say redeems it, but it's pretty badass because you kind of remember he was an honorable man. I mean, there's even a part where he says, you know, uh, I'm trying to find the exact quote. Yeah, he says, I'll have your head before I surrender a river run. Like, I mean, it, it shows how much he actually thought of the place. To, it was his home. Yeah, he wasn't gonna just escape. Like, he was with one Rand. of Hoster Tully. His was the Lord of Riverrun throughout like the majority of a Song of Ice and Fire. He died, and like, but Hoster Tully was Blackfish's dad. Yeah, or no brother. I apologize. Brother. It was his brother. Yeah, yeah, it was his brother. And it it so. kind of reminded me of Sir Barristan, just kind of the way he went out. Because I mean, he was completely overthrown by the harpies. Dude, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the difference is, is like. Brennan still could have made a difference. This is where I think you were right when saying, like, you know, how pri his pride had shown here. It's like he could have literally still made a difference in wars to come. He was a great commander. He is a great warrior. He could have helped out anyone, like, in Winterfell or any, maybe even, like, the other armies in the later seasons that we'll talk about. But he's like, not, nah, not going to happen, guys. Going nope. on a blaze of glory. Nope. Let's do this. No reason. Sword to sword. No so. reason. Kind of like, uh,. One of our buddies we're going to talk about in just a bit yeah, right. here. <laughs> so, you know, as that's happening over in um, Marine, Danny arrives and she's like super, like, like so all that the rumbles are happening and like the Missandei, uh, Grey Worm, and Tyrion, they're getting kind of nervous of like what's going to happen. And then like 
like they like all of a sudden like you see all the unsullied just drop to one knee and Daenerys comes walking in and you see on her face she is pissed. Oh. She's like, "What the fuck is going on here? It's a bi- it's going oh. down for real. It's about to go down for real, for real. It's man. going down. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so then they, all we see kind of like is they all drop the knees. You see her walk in and she just looks around and you see that she's pissed. And then and then it just just stops there. Gives us that little suspense build up takes us back to the hound oh yeah and uh real quick though like as like all this shit is going down like you know marine is basically (laughs) in turmoil like it's collapsing they're they're throwing the cannonballs at it uh with the catapults and gray worm looks at Tyrion and says fight from where the pyramid is the only place we can't defend and I mean, it's it literally just goes to show going all the way back where we were talking about the history of the Unsullied. You know, they're they're really great at defending their territory, but he's Tyrion's lost so much control of this place. Like even the Unsullied can't think of a plan, which is like super interesting because like Tyrion did an amazing job as Hand of the King in King's Landing. But like I, the point I've been trying to make this entire backside of the arc when Tyrion joined up with Daenerys is that these people in Essos are not the same as they are in Westeros. Right. So, yeah. yeah, man. So then, yeah. So now over to the Hound. He stumbles upon the Brotherhood Without Banners. And he's looking to kill, like, the, the leader of the people who killed the villagers. And he sees Beric Dondarrion and Thoros Amir. And they're, like, kind of, like, they're kind of, like, interested in seeing him. They're like, oh, Clegane, what are you doing here? He's like... Clegane. It was interesting because they're like, you're like... Uh, he, they're like we're hanging these people. We're like you know, executing people. <laughs> like well, that's what I was trying to do. <laughs> like, where's the fun in that? <laughs> so they're already trying to hang him, but the hound wants him. So Beric allows him one at first, but the hound says like, no, dude, I want two. I want two of them. So he's like, ah, whatever, we agree. And he goes like bring up the axe and like take it to him while they're on the news. And Beric's like, no, 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 no. They're dying by hanging. Like you kick and kick the stone out from underneath them. Um. So yeah, they. They, they finally get the justice on the people who murdered the Hound's villagers. But the one thing I found was interesting is that um, they asked him, like, what are you doing here? And he's like, they murdered my friends. And, the, and Thoros and is like, you have friends? He said, not anymore, because they killed them all. Yeah. And so. I do want to bring this up real quick. In the books, Beric Dondorian actually died after the Red Wedding, like permanently. Like he didn't come back. So this scene never happens at all yeah. in the books at all. Which so I thought interesting it was really because cool. like then a lot of things wouldn't have taken place because Beric actually plays a bigger role in the series later down the stretch. Exactly. So really interesting. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I wonder. I wonder like maybe if he does come back and wins the winner, we don't know it yet. I'm wondering. Yeah, I'm wondering if that's know. something that's in the works. I mean, what you even think about like Lady Stoneheart? Yeah. that's in there. Like that's a big difference. Huge. Um, yeah, we barely have talked about Lady Stoneheart at all. You want to tell them real quick? Just give them a quick like tell just about who, who that she is. is. Yeah. So Lady Stoneheart, um, she like is the zombified dead like version of Catelyn Stark so she came so she's got like this big old rope of like like where she got cut throughout her neck like she's got like whiffs of white hair so her body had washed up it was interesting because you know what who found her one of the dire wolves had found her Mm -hmm. like the one that like was in the wild like sniffed it remember like it was part of her like the scent of their of their um um pack right so like that's wolves travel in packs and so like through the wolf's eyes we see like like it's characterized in the book you know, you can tell it's Catelyn who's dead there. And then, like, when the Brotherhood Without Banners are rounding up people who they think are partially responsible for their wedding, they get these one guy and they hold him in the noose and he's trying to, like, plead his case that, like, hey, no, like, 
I didn't take any part in this. And so they looked over like, like my lady was he one of the ones that was there? And then she steps forward and you see it. It's, you know, it's dead, alive, zombie Catelyn. So it's yeah. almost like a, a John Snow moment without John being zombie. But like, yeah, <laughs> so it's yeah. like yeah, so Caitlyn's almost like like uh, Medusa looking, like very like 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 her death and decay had already begun, and she doesn't speak obviously because her throat's cut. So like literally all it is is she's just not, like silently like nodding, and so it's really interesting. But like that's yeah. I just found that how you know they never even brought that up in the series when that's a big big like factor. Yeah. So cool. But, yeah, so then from there, Beric tries to get the Hound to join them. He said, you can still help a lot more than you've harmed, Clegane. Because, um, like, basically, the, the Hound has given up on himself, almost. Like, you know, like, I, like, I'm a piece of shit, basically. I've done bad things my whole life. Like, I'm just going to live out the rest of my life, like, how I am, and I'm just going to die. And, like, Beric's like, nah, man, like, you can really do some good here. Like, let's take this time. Like, obviously, you know, you've met, you've made friends. They were all butchered as villagers. But, like, that's a step in the right direction. Like, like let's let's kind of put your talents to good use. Like, you know, you're, you can help out a lot more than you harmed, all, like, still to this day, which is pretty cool. Which I wonder, like, maybe that's one reason they kept Beric Dondarrion alive in the show is because he was really there to kind of push the hound and bring about that perseverance in him. I mean, remember season eight, there's a part we'll talk about episodes from now where he says, tell her that, you know, where he's basically giving yeah, up. Yeah, exactly. I think the hound gives up a lot on himself, which is in the great point that we'll talk about later. But yeah, so a- after that, we go back to Arya and the waif appears and ends up killing Lady Crane. So it's almost like everything was for naught for Arya because she stopped the poison from killing Lady Crane because she wanted Lady Crane to, to live because she's a nice woman. Well, the waif killed her anyways. So now not only is Arya like half dead herself, like now Lady Crane, an innocent bystander, is now killed because of Arya in a way. It almost so. gives this whole like horror scene too. Like yeah. remember when like on, like her like broken back to like and just body just bent and like fractured and it was gross. Blood looking. everywhere, like, half yeah, backwards over, over the chair. Like I mean, think about gross, when man. Arya wakes up. Like no one's in the house. Like she just hears the chair fall yep. over, and she walks out. And think about it. The one girl that's kind of cared for her, almost like Catelyn, during this whole kind of mission that's going on. She's literally backs broken backwards blood's coming out like and you're wondering what happened at this point yeah i don't even know what she did to her um so yeah so they the the chase resumes uh the way guy finally ends up cornering aria to this like small underground like dungeon like area and she closes the door behind her like and she like so basically yeah she corners into the room closes the door which in a way kind of like seals her own fate if you think about it so now, like, it's, she's basically telling her, no matter what you do, what the red-faced god needs a name, he's getting that name. And, like, right now there's another name, and it's yours, and I'm about to give it to him right now. So Arya, like, like she ran to this place on purpose because this is where she hid her um, sword needle. So she pulls out a needle from underneath, like, the blanket there, and there's a candle burning. And so the, the waif says, haven't, I, haven't you learned? That's not going to help you. And so the waif starts walking towards her. Arya puts like the sword up to her face and then cuts the candle. And the reason why that's super important, if you guys remember, is she was getting used to training against the waif while Arya herself was blind. So the waif was able to see the whole time they were sparring. 
But the wife has never fought blind before, and Arya has. Ooh, how it's all coming How the turns circle. have tabled, <laughs> in the words of The Office. <laughs> so, how the turns have, have tabled. tabled. Yep. Oh, yeah. So, And I do want to let you know one thing you do find out right before this chase scene. The wharf says, if you would have done your job, she would have died painlessly, and she's holding a knife. So you see you know lady crane she's completely bent backwards with her eyes open and blood everywhere and you assume she was just pushed off the stool obviously she cut her throat or something yeah she like stabbed her a couple times i don't know exactly what happened but she definitely fucked her up so yeah yeah but (laughs) describe you know she was then it kind of cuts over to jackin for a minute Oh, almost, yeah. So, like, like it's just a, there's a pool of blood in the Hall of Faces. And then you see, like, Jack, Jack and, like, walking there, right? Right. So he's walking up there, and he sees all this blood. And to him, he's like, okay, fine. Like, you know, she did her duty. She killed Arya. Like, we're good to go, right? So he starts looking at it, and then he looks up, and he sees that it's the waif's face that was added to the Hall of Faces. He turns around, and Arya has needle pointed, like, in his heart, like, pointed, like, right at it, right? And correct me if I'm wrong, this hasn't happened in the book yet. No, definitely right, not. Exactly. Yeah, so, definitely not. And what's interesting about that, like, uh, so Jack and Agar is legitimately, this is the first time you can see that Jack and Agar is surprised. Like, like he's kind of had this aura of, like, I know everything that's going to happen. Like, I'm in control here. But, like, he's kind of surprised. She's like, he's, she, go, she asks him, or actually she really tells him, like, you sent her to kill me. And he literally said, yes, but here you are. And there she is. And so she, he goes, finally, a girl is no one. And Arya responds, a girl is Arya Stark of Winterfell. And I'm going home. Badass moment. And keep in mind, when you're seeing the face of the wave, the blood is pouring out her mouth and both and her, her eye sockets. Like, it was just fresh. Like, you know how mm-hmm. they do it, like, when they clean up the bodies in the other room? Arya didn't clean that body at all. She took that face right off and just put it right on there. So I just said... That's like she was pissed. Like it was, it was really interesting. So <laughs> and think of it this way: not to be cliche at all, but Arya just got her eyes back, and now the waif is blind. Well, the waif's dead. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that too. Yeah, yeah. but it, it, a girl is now no longer no one. Yeah, and and one thing too, like that's how it ends the episode. But I wrote down like whatever happened to Jack, and like was he only a supporting character to train Arya? Like, like, why did the, the Faceless Men and Arya's training go so many episodes to only have her use the faces to kill Walder Frey? Well, I'm sorry, I kind of jumped ahead there. But, like, why go through so many episodes? How long she was over there in Bravos training with the Faceless Men to have it used so, like, sparingly? Like, it, it was used one time. That's a great point. And you really don't know a whole lot because even in the books, like, you know, it, it's kind of cut off at this point. Like... You know, Jacken is kind of described as, you know, having that skull face and being, you know, worshiping the god of death. So you wonder if he kind of is, but you really don't know what his point is. Like, I'm hoping George brings up something and wins a winner. For sure. Because, like, at this point, like, if you're telling me that he's just a supporting character used to train Arya, like, I just, I don't know, man. It's just an interesting fact because we don't hear about him or see him again in the entire, you know, uh, TV series so and think of how brutal this chase was too like you know and Arya my argument is she must have had this planned because remember she hid needle in there yeah she didn't have that at all and she, and was, she had a candle lit exactly and she was running down the whole thing 
you know, she was avoiding the waif and she was completely bleeding out her wound at this point. And it even was a part in the show, you know, she wiped her hand fingerprints across the wall and it was leaving just a blood handprint just dragging across down the stairs. I, I, I want to say something real quick. This has nothing to do with our show at all. Guys, I want to make a new drinking game for you. Every time, <laughs> every time you listen to our podcast, every time Chase says the word completely, you guys have to take a shot. I, I can't wait until to see like how many people take that challenge. Oh yeah. <laughs> see, that's where we need to get the tipsy gypsy. Code. Yeah, every time you say a sort of tipsy word, yeah. gypsy. <laughs> no, no, yeah. you're right. So continue on. I tell. I apologize. I just like I've heard you say that so many times. No, I thought it was the great. show. I was <laughs> lucky. I don't make you burn your malice card over there. But oh, no, yeah, right. But no, that that's what's really my point was. I mean, she must have planned this. Because remember the first time she was being chased after, you know, the old lady stabbed her and twisted it in it. She had this plan clearly because the candle was in there and needle was in there. Yep. And she wouldn't have had needle except for going back to that scene. She threw everything away in the book. She even threw her clothes away except for needle. And she hid needle in the show under that rock. Yep. No, good point. And that's exactly how episode eight ends. And then we jump into episode nine. The masters of Yunkai asked Sephora are launching cannonballs into Marine and still attacking the cities. And so here's another quote, guys, of us trying to prove to you or at least show you evidence that Daenerys, the plan for her all along was exactly as portrayed. She said, I will crucify the masters. I will set their fleets afire and I will kill every last one of their soldiers and return their cities to the dirt awesome like really <laughs> yeah like you guys are telling you guys think, of course like that and so Tyrion has to talk her down and this is something i wrote down and i will i'll detail it more in the summary episode of exactly each time someone has to talk her down but every time danny has a mad idea someone talks her down without her advisors she would have been the mad queen for a long time now jorah's talked her down barris and selmy's talked her down Tyrion's talked her down like literally Every like Dario Naharis has talked her down from doing these crazy things. Like, there's just so many times that like she's just ready to fly like a loose cannon off the wall, and someone has to reel her back. So that's that's just one of my points I had to make there. But which no, you made a great point because people don't realize because they don't pay attention to her enough going through seasons. I really one all one through four because one through four. She's shown these signs, even going back to Clash of Kings in season two. Remember she said, with fire and blood, I will take it. I will take it. And people don't think of these things because they really weren't thinking of her as a threat at this point. And they were, she was their champion. Like she was supposed to be like people like George R. R. Martin pulled the ultimate wool over everyone's eyes by like putting this awesome like female prominent character out right. there with these amazing abilities like she's not able to be burned by fire she wants us everything right she's got good intentions she frees slaves like he pulled the ultimate wool over everyone's eyes because he he hid all those amazing things that she's well she he hid all the craziness of her behind all the great things she did and what she stood for and what she wanted from Westeros and what she wanted to accomplish so yeah. literally Tyrion over and over and over he tries to prevent her from becoming Ares, her father, over and over and over. And it's not it, just him. Yeah. And multiple times she even says, I'm not my father. Well, we're going to well, find we'll, out. We'll see soon enough. But <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, so at that point, Danny and her entourage, they meet with the masters, and there's confusion of terms and surrender, right? <laughs> so, so Tyrion, so like basically they called her a beggar queen again, and uh, Tyrion's like, we're here to discuss terms of surrender, not trade insults. And the master's like, well, the terms are simple. You will leave Marine. You will give us back the Unsullied, sold to the highest bidder. You will give us back the translator, sold to the highest bidder, and you will walk out of here like the beggar queen that you are, right? Yeah. And you. so... That's pretty much it. I, I know I didn't do it quote for quote. I just kind of duffed it off my head. But. No, I was dead. On, you want me to read it? Oh, sure. Cool? Yeah, man. I was just off the top of my head. No, that <laughs> was. I was going to compliment you because I was dead on. Josh knows this shit, man. Uh, they said, You and your foreign friends will abandon the Great Pyramid and City of Marine. The unsullied your stole from Castle Smith Klaus. Oh, Krasnus. Krasnus. You know, yeah. terrible yep. names. Uh, will remain to be slowed to the highest bidder. The translator you stole from Krasnus Minna Klaus will again remain to be sold to the highest bidder. The dragons beneath the Great Period Pyramid will be slaughtered. And then, you want to say this famous line here? Absolutely. She goes, what is it? <clears throat> there must be some lack of communication here because we're here to discuss your surrender, not mine. Yeah. We obviously didn't communicate clearly. There it is, yeah. We are here to discuss your surrender, not mine. <laughs> Not mine. <laughs> Bad yeah, ass. Absolutely. And, this is that moment where you're and, like, yes. Well, not only that, like, that, like I like that part, but my favorite part is when they're like, um, it must, it must be difficult trying to adjust to the new, um, uh, what's it called? Reality. Yeah, the new reality. And he's like, uh, she goes, your reign here is over. And she goes, my reign has just begun. That's <laughs> so what I really great. liked. So epic. For it, sure. It's, this is that iconic moment too, like when people look up Game of Thrones on, you know, online or on YouTube to see highlights, like this is what you see. And we'll get into describing this in just a second, but this is that massive moment uh, where you're going to see Drogon, Viserion, and Rhaegal. And I hate to use foul language, but just fuck shit up. Yeah. No, seriously. Yeah. Drogon appears, Danny gets on and torches the Master's fleet. Her other dragons just kind of bust out of the side of the pyramid out of nowhere, which in the books is a little bit different. Yeah. Um, who'd you say it was? It was uh, um, uh, the Lannister, right? Um, Marcella? Was it Marcella in the uh, person? Or who was it? It was... Who was it in the books? Let me... Um, Tristane or something like that? It was in the books... Who was the guy? I can't remember his name. Uh, Re but basically, regardless, someone let them out, like in, was, in the books. It was the uh, I can't remember the Lannister, but yeah, he let them out from underneath the pyramid. Yeah, he let them That's out from underneath the pyramid, where like in the series they just kind of broke out and joined the fray, right? And they just started burning everything down. And then on the other side of that, the Dothraki appear, led by Daryon Harris, to take out the Sons of the Harpy, attacking the city. Excuse me, attacking the city. Got it. I got it right here. Okay. Sorry, it took me a minute to find it because I wanted to make sure I got the yeah. name right. So it was actually a guy named Quentin. Uh, who is a child of Darian Martell. So okay, it was the Martells. Martell. Yes. Um, and he set them free in an attempt to actually steal them at this time. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. So that was pretty interesting. I knew I had that name down. I just wanted to make sure I had it right. Yeah. For sure. And so like, uh, uh, while that's happening, the Dothraki appear led by Darian O'Harris on the other side to take out the Sons of the Harpy that were attacking the city. And so Danny and her dragons, they're just burning ships straight up in the harbor. And while that's happening, we get some great like Tyrion lines back and forth with the masters. He goes, the last time we spoke, we made a pact. You violated that pact. You declared war upon us. 
And though our queen does have a, a forgiving nature, this cannot be forgiven. <laughs> and one of my favorite quotes is he says, Thank you for the armada. Our queen does love ships. Yeah, just straight up. So he now that they're kind of back into a position of power, like they basically say, okay, now uh, our queen, Masande, actually speaks up, a woman, and a slave woman at that to these other masters. So that's like double disrespect to them. Like this woman who was this translator slave is now talking down on them. Like our queen has decided that one of you must die. And you will choose who's going to die. And so they actually kind of throw the one guy under the bus who was actually like a slave trader. And he wasn't a good master. He's like, oh, he's lowborn. He doesn't speak for us. And so he gets down on his, he's like, well, Tyrion also makes another awesome point here. He goes, death always seems a little bit abstract, right? You know, like you always think of other people dying. You know, <laughs> like, like when it comes to yourself, it's just a little, a little abstract, right? And so that one guy drops to his knees. And this is one of my favorite parts because I didn't even see this coming. He drops to his knees. And Greyrun pulls out the knife and just quickly goes and does a quick dash and cuts like the two uh, masters necks instead of just the one that was that that was supposed to be the deal. So almost like they broke their pact and because they broke theirs. So it was kind of cool. And I love this moment uh, because in the books it constantly describes Grey Worm as the angel of death, and it's almost like he is sentencing them. Themself, like I'm about to take your soul as the guy in the middle sits there and begs for mercy and keep in mind as the dragons are burning down the ships right before they start to burn it you do get that iconic line one more time from Danny Dracarys yep absolutely and now I'm, I'm gonna take this part because this Go is my it. favorite interaction of all of Game of Thrones Go I'm for so it. happy so Jon Snow and Ramsay they parlay and get the measure of each other. So Ramsey just kind of playing games tells Jon Snow to kneel before him and proclaim him uh, the Lord of Winterfell, knowing damn well that that wasn't going to happen. Like straight up, like just just getting in his head and you know doing his so he's like, you know, thousands of people don't have to die. You know, just get off your horse and kneel. Yeah, like that's what's going to happen here. Okay, <laughs> so that's exactly like the the, the quote from Ramsey. There's no need for a battle. Get off your horse and kneel. And John responds, you're right. There's no need for a battle. Thousands of men don't need to die. Only one of us. Let's end this the old way. You against me. And then Ramsey replies, I keep hearing stories about you, bastard. The way the people in the north talk about you, you're the greatest swordsman that ever walked. Maybe you are that good. Maybe not. I don't know if I'd beat you. But I know my army will beat yours. And Jon Snow replies, Aye, you have the numbers. But will your men want to fight for you when they hear you wouldn't fight for them? And Ramsay just gets like this shaken real mad. He goes, oh, He's good. He's very good. <laughs> First time that you saw Ramsay getting a little shaken by anybody in this entire series. So amazing. And think of this part, right? He never even fathoms the fact that he could lose. Like, almost like, you poor bastards. Like, this is your problem. Even as Sansa and Jon kind of gallop up on their horse to meet him midway at the battlefield to negotiate terms, he kind of dismounts almost for like a... doesn't dismount, but kind of sits there for a minute and looks at Sansa. And I'm trying to find the exact quote. He says... I got it right here. 
if I can find it. Man, these notes. This is why you never take Chase's handwriting. He says, <laughs> my beloved wife, I have missed you terribly. Thank you. Looks at John. Thank you for returning Lady Bolton to me. Yeah. Like it never even processes Dude, that he psycho, could lose. Man. And so now actually that's a good tra- that's a good segue into what I have here. So like Sansa rides off. Like like he's like you're going to uh, you're going to die tomorrow, Lord Bolton. Sleep well. She rides off. And he, uh, Ramsay looks at John he's like, oh, "Your sister's a remarkable woman. I look forward to having her in my bed again." So like just kind of messing with that there, but this point that I'm going to make is something that I showed Chase and we talked about it at length for a little bit. At this point after Sansa's already gone and rode off, this is when uh, Ramsay tells him, ah, my hounds can't wait to meet you. They haven't eaten for seven days. I wonder where they'll start first. Maybe your face. Maybe your balls. Right? So like, it's this, so great. Like, this is the part. But the reason I bring this up is because when everything turns out the way it does, and I guess I'll wait until the next episode, like, Sansa wasn't there to hear that. Sansa has no idea that Ramsay hasn't fed his, uh, his dogs for seven days. So if you guys want to do that, do some research, go back to that and watch. She rides off well far away before Ramsey lets them know that the dogs haven't eaten for seven days. Now, I did bring up the point, like, maybe John told her at some point and you don't know. But, like, why would he Dude, bring no, that because, up? No, because she rode off away from, like, she never saw John again until maybe after, like, like after she, well, after the battle's done, right? Mm-hmm. So, like... And why would that even come up in conversation anyways? Hey, by the way, man, Ramsey's dogs <laughs> hey, haven't eaten in seven days. Ramsey, just to let you know. Ramsey wanted to eat your yeah, ass. Like, I just thought I should tell you. Yeah, no. So, no, I just I think that's a little bit of a plot hole there. Well, tell him what she says because this is a big iconic line too before she rides off. Yeah, so, uh, yeah it's like, um, you're going to die tomorrow, Lord Bolton. Sleep well. Got it. And then she – so Ramsey, think of this though. Like he's such a – I hate to say this word, but such a sick fuck like mind insane he literally like <laughs> it's almost like you wonder if he's sexually attracted by that point like she's kinky at that point like ooh feisty fuck yeah because he goes she's looks at john she's such a fine woman your sister i look forward to having her back in my bed I said that like three minutes ago. I said that exact oh, yeah. quote. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Fuck it with you, bro. It's all good. Out of here. But, um, but yeah, did, did you? There is this part where he goes, "You're all fine-looking women. My dogs are desperate to meet you. I haven't fed them in seven days. They are ravenous. I wonder which parts they'll eat first. You did say this. Yeah. Your eyes, your balls. We'll find out soon enough. Yeah. So you're dead on. It. Um, it's just insane because he. From an emotional, mental, psychotic level, it never processed what he was even there to negotiate with. It was, I'm going to win. Thanks for trying to not make this easy on me. Yeah, for sure. And so now they're back at the war council. And Davos tells John that it's crucial that they let Ramsay charge at them. They have the numbers. We need the patience is exactly the quote. And we'll see how that goes here because... You know, Ramsey does like the one thing that guarantees that John's not going to be patient. So, and actually, we're going to talk about a little bit here right now. So, yeah. Sansa tells John they're never going to get really. Like, John's kind of they're kind of going back and forth. Like, hey, like, what, how, why didn't you ever ask my opinion? Like, doesn't it, doesn't it, you know you think I might have some sort of insight on Ramsey? I've lived with him for X amount of time, and he's like, she's like, he's the one that sets traps. Like, 
you know, like you don't know him. And she's like, he's like, I defended the wall from worse than Ramsey Bolton. I fought off people worse than Ramsey Bolton. And she said, you don't know him. Like straight up. And he's like, well, fine. Tell me how we can do this. Tell me how we can get Recon back. And Sansa's like, you're never going to get Recon back. He's a trueborn son of Ned Stark, which is more important than you, a bastard, or me, a girl. And he, he will never let him live. So already right there, Sansa's smart enough to know that Recon's dead. John has that hero's hope that like, nah, man, like we can do this. Like we can bring it through. We're going to get him back. And so they, they, um, they kind of have that little back and forth spit. And, uh, after they get done arguing there, I just thought this was kind of funny. Um, Davos and Tormund are kind of like walking away from the tent and, uh, Tormund's like, you know, I've got some really great sour goat's milk. It's much stronger than that gray water you drink in the <laughs> south. And um, I was like, oh, no, I don't really drink before a battle. He's like, oh, what do you do? He's like, well, I walk and I think. And I walk and I think far enough away for anyone to see me while I shit my guts out. That's, <laughs> That's so exactly great. what he says. So, so great. I thought that was pretty cool. And so Tormund looks at me and says, well, happy shitting. Happy and shitting. So, <laughs> which is interesting because this, uh, well, I'll get to that in a second. At this point, John tells Melisandre that, hey, listen, if I fall, don't bring me back. And Melisandre's like, Dude, I don't listen to you, man. I do, I do the will of my lord. I'm yeah. going to have to try. He's like, no, you're in under like you're under my army and my cam. And she's like, I don't follow your direction, bro. Like, if you die, I'm going to try to bring you back. Sorry. And keep in mind, at this point, she's kind of thinking John possibly could be the prince that was promised yeah. Azor Ahai. Uh, I do want to bring this up, too. So John's military point which we'll talk about the flaws in that in a minute, but his whole idea, this actually, he wanted to basically flank Ramsey's army uh, is what he wanted to do, which if y'all don't really know what flanking is, um, it's a curved military maneuver. So just like Josh was saying, you know, he's not taking them on really head on because Ramsey had the numbers, but this actually, which is really cool, uh, this kind of goes into you know bidding off and wise really did their research on putting this together because battle of the bastards never happened in the books so i'll throw that out there just so you know like this is just on the tv show but this battle actually did happen in actual history it's called the battle of kanai uh the carthesian army actually handed the romans one of their biggest upsets that ever happened uh they actually the romans uh there was a very famous general called Hannibal that led the Carthesian army, but basically the Carthesian army had about barely 50,000 men, if that, and they actually defended their post and beat the Roman army, not the empire, uh, that happened later, (laughs) but, well, the Roman empire won, but they beat Rome that had almost 84,000 people. So this was a very smart tactic he was doing. Just, I think, what's about to come up in a minute, things kind of fall apart because he doesn't really stand his ground. Yeah, and so, I mean, flanking has been around like as, as old as time, right? The, the whole idea of it is that you draw their army out to their full extent. You show a part of your army forward. You go meet them halfway through battle. I mean, this, was in, this, this maneuver was in um, Braveheart. You know what I mean? Like yeah, this has been yeah. this has been around forever. So you meet you meet part of your army head on with the like hopefully the full force of theirs. They think the tide is going in their direction. They're not paying attention to what's going on in the sides. Then you hit them from the sides and you sweep them. Right. So and just to make sure, so you know this is exact on, it occurred July first, two hundred sixteen B.C. 
The Romans had 86,400 men. The Carthaginian army, they don't know exactly, but they had almost 50,000. But 50 to 86,000, I mean, that's a big difference there. Yeah, it's 36,000 more people in the, in the Rome army. But So you had a good idea. No, it was, it was they had the right plan. It's just they didn't execute it. So Yeah, um, yeah so now Davos, as he's doing his little, like, shitting um, ritual, he goes off far enough, and he looks down at this, like, burned stick. He sees the ground, and there's, like, a little figure, and he picks it up, and he realizes it's the deer that he carved for Shireen. And so he sees that that's a pyre that was made, and he comes to the conclusion that Melisandre burned Shireen alive, and that's why she died. And so that's going to lead into something real big later on. But gave me chills Yeah, the same, bro. And so now, yeah, now we go back to Marine, and Yara and Theon, they arrive in Marine, and they try to treat with Daenerys. Yara tells Danny that he's like, uh, so basically, like you know, why, like why don't you rule? Well, talk to talking about like the whole interaction between him and Theon, and then I'll I'll go into a little bit about Euron there. Well, so Danny, of course, supports the rule of Yara over the Iron Islands, and Theon, you know, she kind of asked him. She said, you know, and why aren't you going to be the one to rule the Iron Islands? He says. I'm unfit to rule. And Tyrion says one of my favorite quotes here. And he goes, well, we can agree on that. And it here's the good thing, though, is it really does show at this point, Theon's really maturing. He's not the Theon with the reek we've come to know during the whole middle of this arc. He's starting to realize, you know, Yara is the best of him. I mean, she really has the experience and the knowledge that it's going to take and the devotion to the Iron Islands to rule. And let's talk a little bit about the terms, though. So it's not just that. It's the fact that... Um, One condition. What, there was a, <laughs> what she wanted is... Yara was like, hey, listen, I, I want to like, remain like the over dominion over the Iron Islands. Like, I want to be queen of the Iron Islands. And so Tyr- Tyrion's like, well, if all of these you know houses demand their independence and... Daenerys goes, well, she's not demanding. She's asking. The others are free to ask as well. And so basically the whole reason was they, she wanted to, like, they wanted to support Daenerys' claim so that way they could keep the Iron Islands when they went and took um, Westeros. So, and then the one, the one caveat to that, though, is that Yara and Theon, like, they had to change the entire lifestyle of the Ironborn. Like, they couldn't raid villages anymore and attack and kill, like, um, these people. And he said, that's our way of life. And she said, no more. And they did that cool, like, little arm grasp thing. Awesome. Treaty made. Because, well, here's the thing is that uh, Yara's like, you know, um, our uncle's coming to make the same proposal to you. And she said, well, why shouldn't I wait for him? And Theon, Theon starts to say it, and then he cut, shuts up, and Yara goes, well, his, his uh, proposal comes with marriage as well. And I believe the term he said was, come to give you my big fat cock. <laughs> yeah, so, that's exactly what it was. And uh, Danny tells Yara... You know, this is what kind of sets them off. Like you were saying, it's their way of life. She says no raping and plundering is two of the things she said. And you got to kind of think like the Iron Island. They That's basically what they do. That's how like, they make their living. The best way I think of them, because I think of the Dothraki kind of like you said, the barbarians. Yeah. They're more like pirates. Yeah. Like you go no, to they pirates, are, they're pirates for sure. Yeah, they're I mean, for sure pirates. They did whatever they wanted. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, Danny agrees to their alliance. And now we go back to Winterfell and the battle of the bastards about to start and dun, both dun, armies dun. are lined up. And I call this, this is my patented uh, 
word. I call this the recon run. <laughs> so I get really upset here. And I'll tell you why. So Ramsey brings recon to the front. He pulls up a big knife and like everyone's all nervous. So first off, Jon Snow is an idiot because he gets off his horse and goes like four steps forward to look at what's going to happen. Number one, if he stood on his, if he stayed on his horse and just moved his horse forward, this could have had a total different outcome. You guys can go ahead and look and back to watch this episode because it's one of the best episodes that was ever made in Game of Thrones. So tell me if I'm wrong because I know I'm not. But if he stayed on his horse the whole entire time instead of getting off it, running, running back to it, could have had a whole different outcome. Anyways, that's one of my issues. Number two, he cuts Recon's bonds and he said, you want to play a game? Run to your brother. The sooner you get to him, the sooner you get to see him again. And he's Recon like kind of is like, are you sure? Like, like, is really like kind of skeptical. He starts walking and Ramsey's like, no, you have to run. That's the game. So Recon starts running and Ramsey starts shooting arrows at him. My problem is, is Recon literally ran in a straight line at the same speed. <laughs> if he could have did some zigzags, barrel rolls, hit the ground, changed his like speed from fast to slow. If he would have done anything at all, he would have been fine. He would have got there, no issue. Do the recon, so, do the recon, do this, the recon This is run. the recon run. I'm just going to run at the same do speed the recon in the run. same direction. And all you've got to do is basically pick me off when you feel like it. Because Ramsey was playing with him for the first couple arrows. He would, like, look away, shoot the arrow, and, like, you know, he would just mess around because he knew he was a good enough marksman to hit him. Who do you think so, you are, Mr. Recon? So, yeah, Mr. the arrow Recon. goes to Recon just as John was about to reach him. And so I wrote this down. Ramsey missed with the three arrows and hit him with the fourth. So I'm saying if John had stayed on his horse the entire time, he could have got to Recon before that fourth arrow hit. That's my first point. Second point, if Recon does any sort of like maneuvers other than running in a straight line, Recon lives. But no, absolutely not. Recon gets hit with arrow, but in the books, Recon's still alive because this has never happened. Yes, and here's another thing too a lot of people don't realize. When they first get out to the battlefield, so you think those burning crosses upside down, yeah, I mean, that is the Bolton symbol. Like, they used to fillet people and put them upside down on the cross and burn it, right? That's not just why those were there. People completely overlook this because it's such a minor detail, but it's actually a huge detail. Yeah. They were put out almost every 100 yards. And what those were was those were marksman spots. Distance markers. Yeah. If anyone's here's a hunter and has used a bow at all, they're distance markers to, to line your shots. Yeah. So Ramsey knew exactly where to hit. So he was just screwing with yes. him the entire time, really, until the very end. Yep. I still stand with it, though. If Recon did anything but exactly what he did, he would have lived. And if John stayed on his horse, there was a good chance he would have lived, too. And then what does John do? Yeah, John loses, me all, off yeah, John loses all composure and rushes Ramsey's army by himself without anybody behind him. If you're any sort of commander, not, uh, just leaves his brother's body on the ground and rushes forward. Like, if you're any sort of commander, why wouldn't you get to the back of the line? Like Achilles says in Troy, get him in line. Like, why don't you go back and command your army? No, you run like you're going to be the savior of the universe against thousands of soldiers. Straight up, one against 5,000. That's, that's good odds? No. So no, Definitely not. <laughs> So John's army has to follow him, which is against the plan of having a, a Ramsey's like army attack first, which is exactly what Ramsey wanted. He like fell into Ramsey's trap and he set the jaws and like that's exactly what happened. So now, you know, the Battle of the Bastards begins. And I actually have it written down exactly how many people John had killed. Do it. Uh, 
but um, I know I know you like to like go into detail about the types of strikes and stuff. I didn't go into that kind of detail no, with this. No, it's all yours, man. But um, this dead, is your battle. <laughs> dead, yeah, dead bodies pile up, and they actually become a trench of sorts. So, so many people have died. These bodies are just piling up on top of each other. So, like, when these arrows are coming over, it's actually hitting the dead bodies. And, like, it, what ends up happening is they end up getting trapped. John's army ends up getting trapped by the trenches here. And so, Ramsey holds his people back enough to where they have enough people to combat their army. And then when it's time... When Davos says, okay, we might as well be doing shit back here, taking shits back here, we need to get into the fold, Ramsey actually performed the proper flank because now Davos brought the rest of the Wilding army into the mix as the backup, and that's when Ramsey's like, all right, circle him up. And so that's exactly what happens. He he sends all his people out, including small John Umber. Uh, yeah, so yeah, Davos brings Rain Army into battle too soon, and once committed, Ramsey sends his rear army surrounding John's army, and so they're fucked at this point. Um, but I thought it was pretty cool, though. Would you just add something? Uh, I was just gonna say one thing. I thought that was ridiculous. Why the hell does Woon Woon run out there with no army, no armor, no sword, how, no nothing? My question is like, how do you make armor big enough for him though? Like, you grab a tree trunk and you grab a door, <laughs> yeah. just like hold the door. Hold the door. Like, like you gotta have something, man. You just walk out there in the middle of nowhere, and yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, it was amazing the number of count that John got from you know. And one thing I really loved about this battle is it really put you in that first person perspective. Like when the horse comes down and the first person John gets, he slashes that guy off the horse. This was one of the first battles in cinematic history that really made you feel like you were in that first person point of view. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'll get to the actual number once the battle's over. But so at this point, they're pretty much fucked. Like they're, they're hemmed in by the trench of the dead bodies behind them. And on top of that, the foot soldiers with small John Umber are coming over the top of the trenches, so you can't escape through the trenches. They've got their short sword and spear in the front of them, so they're basically just backing them into each other into a huge fucking like sandwich. Like you're getting attacked from the ass, you're getting attacked from the face, and we're just gonna close in on you like the jaws of life. And so Tormund actually ends up killing small John Umber, which is pretty cool. And Jon Snow almost suffocates in a pile of dead bodies. And so, at this point in time, before I tell you what's about to happen to their saving grace, Jon Snow had killed 23 people by himself. Pretty amazing. 23 people by one person, and he's still alive. So, I thought that was really impressive, um, going back there. Because I didn't just talk, I didn't count the ones where, like, they fell down in front of him or the people who had killed him right before they got to Jon. Like, I counted the ones where Jon landed a sword stroke on them and they fell. They, they yeah. killed 23 people by himself. And this battle was brutal. I mean, you know, he sliced people across his stomach, across their throat, stabbed them, knocked them off horses. Uh, I mean, the point where they were getting trapped and they were collapsed and it was caving on them because Ramsey has just completely overtaken them at this point was so claustrophobic. If you've ever been in like a theme park attraction ride where it's just so dark and claustrophobic and you feel like everyone's on top of you or if you're going to a store and it's like opening day or some shit or like a movie premiere and you feel like everyone's going to trample you that's exactly what this was like there was a point where john was on the ground and he couldn't get up yeah like at all suffocating dude yeah (gasps) yeah dude absolutely and so all this is well and good ramsey's got this battle well in hand and then all of a sudden you hear some horns from the south you turn up and you see 
Peter Baelish and Sons on horses, and then the Knights <laughs> of the Vale come in and just take Ramsey's army from the ass, bro. The snake comes Absolutely. to save the day. I always want to do, what was it, the and Horn of Gondor? It's almost like, yeah, it's kind of like the Horn of Gondor, actually. Yeah, yeah. it really was. So they, they straight decimate Ramsey's army, and then Ramsey runs away like a little pansy, and John Tormund and Woon Woon pursue him back to Winterfell. So he, Ramsey gets back in there. He said, their army's gone. And the guy looks at Ramsey. He's like, our army's gone. He's like, we have Winterfell. We can hold them all. Like, like, we can wait them out. And they close the gate, shut it. And then Woon Woon, the giant, breaks down the gate to Winterfell and takes at least 100 arrows. Did you say you counted that shit, man? I like, did. Dude, he had <laughs> so many arrows in his body at this point. I hate to break it to you. It wasn't 100, but it I looked, did count. It looked a lot like it 100. I knew, like I said, I didn't try to count them at all. I'm just talking about like what it looked like at first glance. Like It looks like he was <laughs> those were peacock feathers yeah. flying out of him because of all the arrows with the, <laughs> the feathers. Which, like, which you might have been right because... Here's how many it was. It was 32 arrows, not including spears. Because okay. he had a number of spears. Like, even just the hand. Remember, he was trying to break down the yeah. door, and they threw the spear it through his hand. Ripped his it hand. ripped through <sighs> his hand. This, it, it was basically like, imagine arrows being if you just jumped in through a yellow jacket or hornet's nest, and they're completely covering you. It was obscene. Yeah. That's what it was. So, so after they break down the gate to Winterfell, John, John's army enters behind and take out the rest of the Bolton's men. Uh, but then Ramsay shoots an arrow through Boom Boom's eye and kills him. Which kind of sucks. If you had a fucking door as a shield, you wouldn't have the problem now, would you, Woon Woon? Dude, he was like on his knees for how many arrows he took. And it almost reminded me of Boromir at the end of the Fellowship of the Rings. That's exactly He was like on his knees and he just had so many arrows he was just spent. And then instead of like Aragorn coming to save the day from taking an arrow in the face, he got the arrow to the face. And you know who (laughs) our boy Boromir is. Yeah, Neddy Neddy. (laughs) Ned Stark. John Bean. So when Woon Woon's looking at John and like, you know, there's mutual respect there. Like, ah, you know, you've done so much for us. Thank you. And then takes an arrow to the eye. John looks at Ramsey, and Ramsey goes, "You once offered me single combat. I think that sounds like a great idea." <laughs> <laughs> so John grabs a shield off the ground, a Bolton shield nonetheless. Ramsey shoots an arrow at him, and John grabs it like with like oh like just puts it in front of him, and it the, the arrow comes through like partially, but he blocked three arrows. By the time he got to Ramsey, Ramsey goes to line up for the fourth arrow. John knocks the ball out of his hand and jumps on top of him and just ground and pound MMA style just beats his face. Fight in. Club. If like, any of y'all oh have seen gosh. that scene in Fight Club where he was like, uh, let it, let us play. <laughs> let us use the basement, Rick. Yeah, it was literally like just bleeding everywhere. His face was de- literally decaying as he's smashing Ugh. it and caving it and the scary part is is ramsey's like smiling the entire time like that's like he's an insane person he's like Argh. so like now and sansa has to like he has to like look up and see sansa's like watching him do this before he like lays off he would have killed ramsey with his bare hands if sansa wasn't there because of everything that he's put their family through John like lost it. Like that's the one and only time you see John just completely lose all composure, yeah. man. Just like straight up, like he doesn't care about honors and care about anything. He's like, I'm gonna fucking kill you with my bare hands. It was literally like that Fight Club scene with Brad Pitt where he's got blood everywhere and he's like, "Let us use the basement, Lou. Let us use the basement." Like blood is everywhere. It's not until even this point, even the audience is like, "Wow, they they won." Yeah. 
And so now I, I actually put this back up is like the direwolf sigil flies over Winterfell once more. They drop down all the Boltons. The direwolf flies over into Winterfell. The Starks have it once again. The big victory from when they like lost Winterfell to all the bad things happening back. This has been six years in the making. And we finally got their home back. So I thought that was pretty cool. And at the very end, you know, Ramsey's in the kennels with his dogs. And Sansa goes in there. And what's he say? Ah, oh, my beloved wife. What do you, do you have the actually have the quotes? Because I, feel I like do. Do it's all you, bro? <laughs> you know I'm it's a all you. Guy, man. Take it, bro. You you got this part. So he looks at Sansa. Keep in mind, you know he's completely bloods everywhere, faces pretty much bashed in, dripping off his fingertips. Our time together here is about to end. You can't kill me. I'm part of you now. And at this point, you know Sansa. She responds. I, she really. She. I want to say she's pissed, but also feels like she basically like conquered everything at this point. And she said, "You know, <laughs> she's basically starts talking about the hounds." And she says, "You haven't fed them in well, days." Before that, she's like, "Your words will. You, you will die. Your words will die. You will disappear. No one will remember you." Like, like she went to like a whole little thing first before she talked about the hounds. Yeah, she yeah. said your house, your name, yeah. and memory will disappear. That's right. And that it's just so ironic because we see our our boy Ramsey, the same hounds that he even fed Miranda to. He's getting fed to himself. Yeah, we don't even know if that actually happened. If he had, if they actually did feed him to Miranda, he, <laughs> he gave the order, but we never saw it. But yeah, so. She's like, he goes, my, har- my hounds would never harm me. She's like, well, you said it yourself. You haven't fed them for seven days, which I'm mad about because she wasn't there when that was said. But anyways, the hounds eat Ramsey. Think about it. They What they did was, just to describe this to you guys, they slowly kind of crept up on him like a normal dog if you're in the park, right? If you're kind of just walking around and some dog starts barking or walks up to you, they kind of sniff his hands for a minute and then start sniffing around his neck smell in his face and then take a bite right out of his nose and then eat him from the face down mauling him both of them at the same time barking and screeching as his hands all you see is his bloody hands dripping out his fingernails until they stop twitching and then that is the end of episode nine that is the end of the bastard bolton yep that's the end of episode nine too man and that brings us into episode 10. We're doing really well with timing today. Just, we're yeah. Been, we're killing it, right? So yeah, let's, let's get a little drink for that. I think, yeah, yeah, I think we deserve of, a little malice little in the dilly chalice. Dilly. Malice in the chalice, baby. Cheers to you guys, too. I mean, this has been a one it's hell of a, a ride, one, man. Yeah, one hell of a ride. And we're nowhere close to over. <laughs> we're still not, still not done. Yeah, uh, man. Mm. All right. Ugh, bad ass, bad ass. So let's jump right into episode 10. It's time for Loras and Cersei's trial. Loras admits guilt for all sins, renounces his name and claim to Highgarden, and they mark Loras's head with the knife and the symbol of the seven-pointed star. So he, he just gave up. He's like, nope, you know, there's no need for a trial. Just let me breathe. I don't care. I don't want Highgarden. I want nothing. I just want to live. I want, I want to be okay. So... Yeah, then Tommen, because at this point now that he's he's got that seven point star, he admitted to all that. He's absolved of his sins. He's got now he can't obviously bear children, and he can't be the heir of I, or um, he can't inherit 
Highgarden. Now it's time for Cersei's trial. So Tommen goes down, well, attempts to go down, and Gregor bars Tommen's way to stop him from going to the, the Sept. And Cersei herself, she does not leave the Red Keep. Now, at this point in time, Kybird's little birds, they go up to Grandmaster Pycelle. He's super excited because he gets to see the downfall of Cersei because the Lannisters have treated Grandmaster Pycelle like a piece of trash since season one, right? So he's super excited. He like looks at his beard. Like he was he was already fucking a whore in his bed when that <laughs> happened. And like it was time. He's like, and she goes, "What about my payment?" He said, "Later, get out." And so he gets himself ready. Thinks he's looking all fresh. Then one of like Kyburn's little birds comes up to him and like basically tells him like, "Hey, like, come with me." And so um, they get uh, Grandmaster Pistol down to like uh, Kyburn's little lab area, and all the kids. This is the creepiest part, man. This is like some children of the corn shit. They all just <laughs> children of the corn. Dude, they all just fucking jump him and stab him to death. There's like six or seven kids there, and they're like maybe six years old, and they're killed. They're stabbing him with like like rock the knives. The corn gods summon thee, dude. It was gross, man. Dude, it was fucking nasty. Excuse my word. For sure, man. And yeah, they literally ambushed him and. Remember, he was bleeding even all over his face, dude. And like, even Kyburn, like, even though it was it was deceptive as fuck, Kyburn's like, I wish you no ill will. Like, I wish it didn't have to go this way. Like, you know, <laughs> like I was like, dude, Kyburn, have a you're good a day. Psycho. Yeah, basically, <laughs> he's like, oh, this it's is just really nothing basically, personal. Exactly, it's just business. Like, basically, exactly that. It's nothing personal, you know. Just, right. We just have to kill yeah, you. you. No we, big deal. Usher, usher in the new. We need to get rid of the old. That's exactly the <laughs> time but. I had it. Uh, one time I got a ticket for giving a, an officer my old <laughs> insurance card on accident. Nothing personal, man. I just, you know, I'm not going to update that. You already got the ticket. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that was crazy. Yeah. But yeah, man, like, like it was super business. That got waived, by the way. Business yeah. transaction. So, um, yeah, man. So, Lancel, Lancel Lannister, who's one of these sparrows, he's actually, like, led to a torch, which he picks up. He like follows this little like this little kid through like this room, and he's like trying to talk all big about oh you're gonna be in trouble like yeah, you better stop now like you know this this and that like he's got some sort of authority. Well, he gets into like the little crevice that the the kid led him into, and then the kid stabs him in the leg and he falls down, and he like drops his torch, and then he picks up his torch and he sees all of the wildfire. Which, if you all forget what the wildfire was, remember they used that all the time in Battle of Blackwater, all the way back in season two. That's the amazing yeah. green scene uh, with all the fire or the visions Bran has with the wildfire. Yeah, it was exactly what Tyrion used to mess up Stannis's army and like like with that Battle of Blackwater Bay. Um, <clears throat> so Lancel crawls to where he sees the candles burning down into the wildfire. He sees three candles and their wick is going down slowly into the wildfire. Now, back in the Sept, <clears throat> the Sept of Baelor, Marjorie knows something's not right and tries to warn the High Sparrow, but he doesn't listen. He tells her, like, listen. Because he goes, well, doesn't worry. She doesn't show up. Like, this trial still goes on. And she goes, listen, she's not here, meaning she doesn't intend to suffer the consequences of the trial. Like, she's like something's up. Like, we need to get everybody out of here. She was smart. Yeah, she like, says, forget about the bloody gods and listen to what I'm telling you. Cersei understands the consequences of her absence, and she is absent anyways, which means she does not intend to suffer for these consequences. Yeah, absolutely. 
And so she's trying to get everyone to leave, and the High Sparrow doesn't let them. So at this point, you know, the High Sparrow claims like holiness, but this is super arrogant on his part, which is supposed to be like one of the sins in this in this series, like arrogance. He believes he's right so much that he's not gonna let anybody leave. So no one's left. So who's all there? Mace Tyrell, Marjorie, Lancel, not Lancel, I apologize, Loris, High Sparrow himself. It's like major players in this like entire thing here uh kevin lannister right so like um yeah absolutely. I, 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 mean, wrote, I wrote them all yeah. down actually so uh marjorie tries to get released Sparrow doesn't let them so wildfire the, the the wildfire gets down to the bottom of the candle hits in the pool of itself and then blows the sept baylor sky fucking high yeah. and so it kills everyone inside and like the biggest players included are marjorie the high sparrow loris Kevin Lannister, Mace Tyrell, and Lancel obviously dies because he was like underneath, like there, but he was already like bleeding out from his wound that he got stabbed. But he was right there at the position where everything combusted, so he died underneath. It literally engulfs that entire tunnel where they were at, yeah. and then explodes through the, the floor, floor, incinerating the entire courtroom, uh, feet to head, everyone in there, including the High Sparrow. Yep. Um, which just a little bit of a difference. It's not much, but in actually the books, um, so this never happens in the books. Cersei actually blows up the Tower of the Hand in the books, okay. and that was part of her atonement. Um, was it was almost like she was getting rid of that whole corruption of her past. Um, but just to kind of get back on track here, just letting you know there is a little bit of a difference in that. Good stuff. Now Cersei, now that you mentioned her, she actually has Sept Anella now and is getting her revenge as promised. She told her like, uh, yeah, "You will not die for a well." Gregor could like, oh, so actually before that, like she has her strapped down and pours wine over her face as like shame, Cersei, yeah, shame. Just basically shame. giving her the same shit that Sept Anella gave her while she was in the dungeons down below, and has nowhere. She said, "I told you, my face would be the last face before you die," and Sept Anella was like, basically made peace with it. Until Cersei realized, like, oh, you think you're going to die today? Oh, no, 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 <laughs> no, no. definitely not. Absolutely not. You haven't confessed. <laughs> you can't like, die yet. You, you haven't confessed. Yeah, you, I've actually got someone perfect to keep you company for a little while. <laughs> and that's when Gregor Clegane walked in, and he actually took his helmet off. And uh, you don't really get to see much, but uh, he does remove his helmet, and you get a decent look at his face for the first time. You get, like, a shadowed look at his face. So you have an idea of what... He's going to look like later on. So, And then you can hear Septa and Nella scream because she's terrified. Because I don't know if Cersei gave Gregor, like Gregor Clegane orders to rape her or just be in there. I don't know what it was, but it definitely terrified the shit out of her. See, I don't think it's rape because I can't see him as even a person at this point. He's almost like That's something Lady, Cersei would Lady do, Stoneheart. though. It's... I don't know. Like I said, like, that's, that's all speculation, guys. Determined. That's not true. Like yeah. I, I don't know, but... Yeah, and so at that torture point, torture her. I would definitely say, <laughs> definitely. So Tommen, you know, he learns of what happens at the Great Sept and everyone who died. So he removes his crown and walks away. He's like looking out the window. He walk. He like removes his crown, walks away from the window. Then he walks back up to the window and just fall jumps right outside. Like Later, just doesn't even <laughs> like like he just like walked as if there was still ledges there for him to walk on. Walked straight out the thing and fell straight down. And do you mind if I big say something? suicide? Oh yeah, big big issue. Uh, but what I was gonna say was I actually have the quote. Cersei gives this amazing monologue as she's pouring the wine. Yeah, yeah, over do your her. thing, bro. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, you kind of feel like 
good for Cersei because she's getting revenge at this point for what they put her through. But at the same time, you're like, wow, this is fucked up. She says, confess. Confess it felt good beating me, starving me, frightening me, humiliating me. You didn't do it because you cared about my atonement. You did it because it felt good. I understand. I do things because they feel good. I drink because it feels good. I killed my husband because it felt good to be rid of him. I fucked my brother because it feels good to feel him inside me. I lie about fucking my brother because it feels good to keep our sons safe from hateful hypocrites. I killed your high sparrow and his little sparrows. All his septums, all his scepters, all his filthy soldiers because it felt good to watch them burn. It felt good to imagine their shock and their pain. No thought has ever given me great joy, even confessing feelings good under the right circumstances. Yeah, dude. Like, how fucked up is that? That was a good monologue, bro. Good job. Yeah, I actually got it right. <laughs> For, yeah, that was straight, that was straight yeah. good. <laughs> good stuff. If it's Valyrian or if it's that, I can get it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Now, we go back to Jamie Lannister over there. Like uh, they're, they're celebrating their victory uh, with the phrase at the Twins. And... You know, so Walder Frey is giving this big speech about how the alliance of the Lannisters and the uh, Freys are so great, and like the words of their alliances, the Freys and the Lannisters send their regards. And Jaime straight up disrespects Walder Frey to his face. Walder Frey comes down and sits down, and Jaime goes, "We gave you the Riverlands to hold the Riverlands. If we have to ride north and take them back every time you lose them, why do we need you?" Yeah, straight up, right to his face, like this guy who can't take criticism. Jamie Lannister like doesn't give a shit. Like this guy has been, uh, you know, he had the red wedding. Like he did the red wedding. Like he was, like backstabs all his, you know, like alliances. He Jamie's like, I don't care. Try something, buddy. <laughs> he, like, yeah. Yeah, this literally up. goes into Walter Frey is that guy in a damn group project that does nothing the whole time, and then you get the A, and he's like. Damn, I worked so hard on that project. Mom, I got an A. I just killed that A, man. And then they're all sitting around. They're like, what did you do? Yeah, you did nothing. Like, why do we need you? And then that kind of cuts us over to Sam and Gilly, who arrive at Old Town in the Citadel. And the man is super awkward. And he goes, this is, this is very irregular. And the record still indicated that you are more. Like, this is, how, this is how outdated the Citadel is. Which is kind of scary because they're, that's where everyone gets their most updated information from, including when winter is coming and things of that nature. So, really, they still have Gior Morma as a Lord Commander and Mace Raymond as the Maester. Which I get having uh, Mace Raymond as a Maester because he just recently died. But Gior Morma's been gone for years. And how have they not had any sort of word from there? That was my question. Right. But yeah. And I do want to bring this up real quick because in the books, a lot of people don't know. So Walder Frey, Mace Tyrell, Marjorie Tyrell, Loras Tyrell, Tommen, and High Sparrow are all still alive. Because none of this actually happened. Yep, good point. Good good, good place to bring that up. Um, yeah, man. So then Sam is actually permitted to use the library. He's taken there, and he's overwhelmed at the amount of books and history in that one place. You can see it kind of overtaken, which kind of makes me happy for Sam because there's not much that Sam has to be happy about during this entire series of a, of a song of ice and fire. Sam never like outside of like having sex with Gilly for the first time, like everything else has really not gone well for Sam. Right. 
So <laughs> right. it was just a good, like, innocent moment that I decide I want to throw in there. But now we get to this real good stuff. We get to, ooh, we get some fire burning from our boy Davos, man. <laughs> yeah, so, this, this part gave me chills. Yeah, Just man. like you were saying. I'll let you take it from here. This is your scene. Man. All right. So Davos confronts Melisandre about burning Shireen. So they have like a big emotional blowout, and this is the first time we see Sir Davos lose it. Like, do you have do you have the full quotes, bro? Yeah, I have the quotes. Do it. I want you to do it. I was gonna let you do it. Nope. You, uh, all okay. you. Let me get to the quotes first. <laughs> One step ahead of me here. I had all this extra history that we jumped into earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, Sir Davos, like, you know, he's basically broken at this point because he saw her as a daughter yes he did he really did and it's shireen, mm-hmm. uh, shireen. that uh, how do you say it shireen you got it right. shireen i yeah, said it right. right okay i always doubt myself on those names but yeah when he saw that wooden horse and he says i love that girl like she was my own she was good she was kind and you killed her and melisandre said i've been ready to die for many years if the lord was done with me so be it but he's not. You've seen the Night King, Jon Snow, and you know the Great War is still to come. You know the army of the dead will upon us will be upon us soon, and you know I can help you win the war. And that's because Jon was siding with Sir Davos at this time, and it, it's breaking Sir Davos down. Am I jumping the gun here, uh, or do you have this quote where Sir Davos tells her, like, if your God tells you to murder children, your God is evil. That's a that's a great quote. I didn't write write that. Yeah, one down. like that was yeah. like that one that thing was like really stuck out to me too. like heavy man. Do you want me to look that one up for you? No, like that just I, I just remember that. I just know if you had that there. Yeah. Well, basically yeah. the point is, you know, Sir Davos. Like this is really when you a guy him. who's super like calm, collected, and cool has a silver tongue in all these situations loses his like loses loses his it and loses it. You know, he goes, "How many had to die because you were wrong? You were wrong about Stannis. You were wrong about like all these things." So. Because Melisandre, you know, admitted it, and so he, uh, Sir Davos goes to Jon Snow. He goes, Lord. He goes, uh, um, I, I, yeah. He goes, he goes. I want. I, I ask permission to execute this woman uh, to uh, for the crimes of murder. She admitted to the crime, and Jon Snow looks at her and looks at Davos, and he tells her, like, you know, you ride away, like now. Like, (laughs) straight up, yeah. Ride south today. If you return to the north, I'll have you hanged as a murderer. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just like, even John. You don't burn children, man. Which, yeah, like, even John can't believe it. Like, trust me, like, he knew Melisandre was no innocent. And she, and like, but the thing is, like, he knew how big of an asset she could have been. And the fact is, like, he did the right thing. He's like, no, dude, get the hell out of here. And here's an ironic part. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> knowing that they're known for you know in actual actually 1800s hanging people because they were witches no, so it's very witch. ironic like he wouldn't cut the head off her he wouldn't behead her but he mentioned hanging so That's it's funny yeah i just thought that was kind of a, a funny easter egg there yeah, and and you know now that we've got, we get past that like little part because she leaves and like davos stops her he's like if i ever see you again i will kill you like I, you don't ever see like Davos is an admitted guy who he's admittedly t- told everyone I'm not good at fighting I'm not a warrior I'm nothing but he doesn't give a shit he's like dude you come back I will kill you I don't care yeah like so I thought that was pretty cool now we go into back to the the um, 
the citadel kind of what i was talking about the white raven is sent out from the citadel which basically is a declaration that winter is here do you have any history on the white raven uh so the only thing i have on the white raven like <laughs> funny ravens remember when i used my malice card yeah. that episode but um actually the white raven is a little bit different in the books it actually goes out to king's landing I don't really have a lot of history on that. Have have you seen anything so, on that? So yeah, basically what what the White Raven, it's the symbolism of like so you guys have to understand it in in Westeros in the song, in the uh, series of A Song of Ice and Fire, um, seasons last like absurdly longer than they last like for us. Like you know, winter will be a couple months, summer will be a couple months. So summer has lasted for like eleven years. They call it you know you you've been like around during the long summer when you like Ned was talking to Arya. You never seen a winter. So meaning like this, this was the declaration of the long winter coming like this, like it's here. Like this is, this is the official notice. Winter is no longer coming. Winter is here. And that's a very big point because a lot of viewers and our listeners don't know because, you know, you watch this show for the first time. You're like, well, what the hell? Like winter has been going on for like 11 years right now. And now they're all grown up or summer, you know, and now winter is finally here. Like, that's a great point you brought up because it reminds everyone their seasons are Going not our years. seasons. Yeah. They're not calendar seasons here that we're talking about. Almost like if you go back to the Bible, like where, you know, they say, you know, this this will this plague will go on for a little season or this will be let out for a little season. It doesn't mean seasoning that you're putting on food. It doesn't mean season on a calendar. It's completely different. It's just to their time. Yeah, for sure. Great, great way to break that down. And so um, now we go over to Olena and Dorne. She's in Dorne, guys. Olena from High Gardens in Dorne. At oh, Ol- dirty at, Dorne. At Ilaria's request. Get you and she on. offers uh, Olena her heart's desire after Cersei killed all the future of Tyrells. And what I thought was cool here is not only did they have this conversation back and forth, because you know Olena, she's kind of cranky and she thinks she knows better than everybody. So she kind of has like a little bit of like attitude back and forth. They're like, oh, how can you give me what I want? You don't know what I want, blah, blah, blah. Like, I want no revenge. Like, like I, like, I, don't, I don't want this. I want, you know, I want revenge. And so Lord Varys appears as their ally, promising fire and blood. Do you guys remember what that fire and blood? <coughs> who's that foreshadowing, from? just kind of throwing that out there, and guess who he's working foreshadow. for? Foreshadow. <laughs> I will take it. <laughs> what is mine, I will take it. Yep, absolutely. And now talking about our girl, Big Danny, she goes over. We're over here in Marine now, and she tells Darian Harris that he will not be going to Westeros. She tells him that he will rule over Marine with the Second Sons. So what this kind of tells me is she never truly trusted the Second Sons as an army because they always fought for gold and not loyalty. But she did have a good feeling for Dario because she left him in charge of the the city that she took over. But now that she knows that she's got a bunch of Dothraki that are like promised all loyalty to her, she knows the Unsullied are loyal to her. Like she's got three full-grown dragons now. She's okay with not using the Second Stones, and she's like she's almost like hesitant. You know, because she knows that the second son's loyalty only goes as far as the gold. So, just something I want to bring yeah, up. Yeah, no, and I mean, you really bring up a good point because this is a debate we always have on the show. Like, did she ever actually love Dario? And I don't think she did. No, she definitely didn't. And it's so funny because Dario, he's so smooth, even in rejection. He goes, uh, she goes, he goes, I'm full of self pity for who comes after you. 
Like, you know, like, you're the mother of dragons. You're the queen. Like, it was so cool, man. Like, he's just so smooth with it, even in, like, even in rejection, because she turned him away. Like, nah, you're not coming with me. Here's a thing, though, is Dario, I think, really saw what she was. And we didn't bring this up a lot last episode, but there's even a part where he says, you're a conqueror. I think we brought it up just a little bit. Yeah, we just said the quote. Yeah, we yeah. said it. And here's the thing is he realized you know she's never been the greatest politician in the world that's why she has Tyrion. but damn she can take over a kingdom for sure she's come from nothing all the way to something but through this whole process you know she's grown with him these past two seasons and just like i was saying it's like that lust in the club we move in the club and we shake our stuff she never really had love for him no, I actually, it's, just, it's actually the next thing, if you look at it right here in my notes, Danny never loved Dario. That's the next thing I had written down. Danny <laughs> never loved Dario because what were her exact words uh, when Tyrion's like, you know, it's never easy letting go of ones you love. She's like, I, I, you know, I didn't love him. Like, I was just impatient to get on with it. Like, she did, She just wanted to get that over with to get on with the day. Like a bat, like a relationship you've been in for a long time that you just stay in because you've been in for a long time. Well, actually, more. I think it's more along the lines of like, a person you use just for physical components, but you've got no true feelings for, and like they've kind of fallen for you, and you're just kind of like, dude, like I'm like you should have known what this was. Like I'm over it. So would so. you call it infatuation? Yeah, I call it infatuation. I call it lust. You know? Lust. That's exactly what I would but, say. Lust. Yeah, and at that same time, Daenerys actually names Tyrion Hand of the Queen, which was really cool because you got to see like her pinned on him and like you know how proud he was. Like you know Tyrion's that guy, man. Like he. He's really he really carried this franchise a good portion of the way, and and so now he's gone from hand of the king for the Lannisters to hand of the queen for Daenerys, and I thought it was pretty cool. Which, Full circle. Think of this though, like as far as Dario's perspective, and I think we really get robbed of Dario at this point. No spoilers. Yeah, we, but yeah. this is it. This, yeah, yeah, like you, this is you, it. You guys have heard the rest board. of Dario. <laughs> like this is it for Dario, and I think it's kind of like. And we're going to wrap this up shortly, but I think it's kind of like, you know, almost like it's completely one-sided relationship. He completely fell for her. And he says, I love you. I make you happy. Bring me with you and let me fight for you. And she completely dismisses it. Yeah, and it doesn't was, even say anything back. True. It was a completely one-sided relationship from the beginning. 100%. Now we go over to our, our little weasel, Walder Frey sitting at his table waiting on his sons black walder and lothar the serving girl tells him that they're already here while serving him pie so walder was eating his sons in the pie that's the crazy part like no like no lord frey they're they're here and he's like, where i don't see them like no <laughs> that was and dead he, on and where <laughs> by the way walder frey if you haven't seen the show he's argus filch from harry potter <laughs> argus filch so she goes, no, in here, and she points down, and you look at it. So the serving girl points down, and you see, like, his, like, Black Lothar's thumb popping out of the pie, and he starts, like, gagging because he's been eating his sons in the pie. Fingernail and all. Fingernail and all. Now, Arya pulls her face back, and now she goes, the last thing you're ever going to see is a Stark smiling down at you as you die. Absolutely amazing. Ooh. And Woo. I do want to pull up the list real quick because we didn't go completely into the list last time. And I actually have that list written down. So let me give you that list. The list here. Because I actually put it in one of our promos because I thought it was badass. 
The list is Joffrey Baratheon, Cersei Lannister, the Red Woman, Beric Dondarrion, Thoris and Meyer, Ilian Payne, Miran Trant, Walder Frey, Twi- Tywin Lannister, the Mountain and the Hound. Yeah, there was also a Polliver, but we didn't add him. Which we got robbed. <laughs> but uh, list, but yeah, so that's a, that was the biggest thing. So our girl Arya slit uh, Walder Frey's throat and watched him die. She got revenge for the Red Wedding, killed him in his own hall that he killed Rob Stark in. I thought that was good uh, symmetry, full circle. You know, came all yeah. the way around, so that was beautiful. <clears throat> and I do want to. There is a couple of differences yeah. with the book there because like, um, he's not dead yet in the books. Yeah, exactly, and um. Just to describe the scene, how insane it was. Arya appears, rips the face off, holds Frey down by the forehead, and as he bleeds out by the neck, he struggles like a rabid dog. Like, he's literally curling at his little hands. He's like, oh, 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 that's right. Yeah, you finally got what you deserved. For sure. But in the books, my point is it's a little bit different because it has nothing. In the books, it's not. It could be. We don't know because when's the winner isn't out. But it's not confirmed that Arya had anything to do with the pies. Um, the pies actually um, were basically summoned. They were at this wedding that actually happened with the pies where someone ate into them. Um, and it actually was Seaman Frey uh, that disappeared uh, from the White Harbor. And it hasn't been confirmed. But it's a theory that he is the one that was in the pies. But basically, the phrase had this huge wedding that were happening. And they started eating into the pies and started seeing all the fingers and nails. Um, but it, it, the big theory is if Seaman Frey that wound up disappearing by the White Harbor because he went off by himself at one point, um, if he's going to be revealed and wins a winner as he's the one that was baked into the pies... And if it was Arya that put him in it, um, it was actually that's who it was. So here's interesting, and this relates perfectly to what we're talking about. So the wedding was actually the Boltons, Ramsay's wedding with Sansa. Uh, Lord Frey doesn't eat the pies because he doesn't attend the wedding, but it was all the other Freys at the time. Gotcha, brother. And now they're talking about Sansa. Good segue. Baelish goes to Sansa. She's at the Godswood, and you know. She like you know oh you're you're praying she's like I don't really pray much anymore but she just goes here to get away from people, and so he tells her that he wants the Iron Throne with Sansa at his side, and and she goes to kiss her again and this time Sansa stops him and goes yeah that's a pretty picture and just walks off on him, pushes him away, so I thought that was pretty cool. So now we go into <clears throat> Benjen Stark, he leaves Mira and Bran at the wall and tells them it's not just stones and ice that make up the wall. Ancient spells were carved into its foundation. Strong magic to protect men from what lies beyond, and while it stands, the dead cannot pass. Wrote that word for word exactly of what the wall is now. So now we have a better understanding about the wall. Don't forget, there's theories that it was always told down that Bran the Builder actually built the wall and built it with magic. Yeah, So. so now you know there's ancient magic there. So Bran grabs the Godswood tree right outside there and goes back to the Tower of Joy. And we see Ned with Lyanna. And we learn that Lyanna had a baby. And Ned pretended that it was his bastard so Robert wouldn't kill the baby. 
And Le so basically, obviously it wasn't a big deal between Liana and Rhaegar, but you learn it here first. I don't care what anyone says. If you read into it here, Liana and Rhaegar had the baby willingly. And we know that because when Ned and Howland Reed fought Hightower and Dane, they told Ned that Rhaegar kept them at the tower. And we also learned that Robert had killed Rhaegar. So basically... They, they, she, he was trying to keep the baby hidden from Robert. So if he was trying to keep the baby hidden from Robert, and Liana was trying to keep the baby hidden from Robert, there was no, like that was not, uh, they, they were t doing it together in cahoots, like that, like so that way there was no conjecture about, you know, if they were, you know, if he was raping her and kidnapping her and holding her hostage, it wasn't like that. And we learned that there if you look into it. Obviously, we get the full blown confession later on, but if you look into it properly, you learn there. And so. Jon Snow holds a meeting in the Great Hall at Winterfell, and all of the northern armies are, are housing are uniting against the true enemy, which is the dead army and the Night King, and Lady Mormont puts all the houses in their place. She makes this big old speech, makes them all, she like shames them all, and even the big, like the biggest, burliest men is like, Lady, like, you know, you've, you've, you know, uh, you know, I, I'm ashamed to admit this, and like, anyways, long story short, Lord Manderley is the first to proclaim Jon Snow as King in the North, and all the Northern houses now hail Jon Snow as the King in the North. Yeah. And I actually have that speech. Do you mind if I read it real quick? Do your thing, brother. So this is probably one of the best monologues I've ever heard. Mm -hmm. um, she says, "Your son was butchered at the Red Wedding, Lord Manley, but you refused the call." You refused the cord. You swore allegiance to the House of Stark, Lord Glover, but in the hour of greatness need you refuse the cord. The call. Uh, the, the call. <laughs> and you, Lord uh, Kerwin, your father was skinned alive by Ramsay Bolton. Still you refused the call. But House Mormont remembers. The North remembers. We know no king but the king in the North whose name was Stark. I don't care if he's a bastard. Ned Stark's blood runs through his veins, and he is my king from this day. Until the last day. Yep. And then the first, the first one that like put the sword down and kneeled and claimed him as king of the north is was the Lord king Manderley, of the north, Lord Manderley. So all the houses, almost the same as Rob Stark, king of the north, the king of the north, king so of the now, north. Chase for a couple episodes ago, you can now be happy that we can proclaim Jon Snow <laughs> as the, the king, king of the, the north. north. And so Baelish at this point though he gives Sansa side eyes as if he thinks that she should be like, like mad, like like not happy about this like she's like no this is why i warned you against son so like this these are your brother's people now like this isn't your people he gave her that look and she kind of like was happy for him and then she kind of got second guess and that's a mind games that baelish plays and so uh over back in king's landing with all the children dead cersei now becomes queen and she gets coronated with the crown and jamie sees that and then back to just kind of close out this last episode daenerys with the ironborn the Unsullied, the Dothraki, and Dragons, they're officially headed to Westeros after all this time to take the Iron Throne. This is that moment, man. You're like, holy Boom! shit. Boom! It's going down That's season real. six, people! <laughs> what it do? That's season six, but... Yeah, man. Dude, that was badass. That was, Give me some, man. Absolutely. I gotta, I gotta tell you guys, this... Man, I am pumped to keep rising on this arc. It's It's been a hell of a ride, we're still taking it there. We're going to give you the content yeah. you guys love. Uh, we see all your comments. We see the reviews. We see your, you know, you helped us out getting our YouTube channel up. You know, you go into a website, ridiculouspatronus.blogspot.com. Still subscribe and review. We love your thoughts. Love your comments because we take it into account here. But 
Yeah. Man, it's been a hell of a ride right it now. It sure has, guys. Uh, keep keep uh, interacting with us on all platforms. Looking forward to some questions you guys may have or some debates you want to bring up. Uh, you know, like I said, every single time we, we take this moment, moment to really um, thank you guys for the support that you've given us all this time. Uh, looking forward to seeing the the numbers next week and and how much uh, we we've grown with you and how you've grown with us. And yes, at, at the end of the day. This was the season, the conclusion of season six. It was part four, season six, of Game of Thrones. An amazing production here at the Ridiculous Crew. This has been Chase and Josh. Factor Fantasy. Signing, Signing off. off.